0: You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning at 7:45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this.
1: It's 7:45 AM on this Thursday morning, and you're very welcome along to OTBAM. Plenty of GEA coming up in the next hour this morning. We're going to be looking ahead to the football and to the Hurling Leagues in the company of Anthony Moyles and Tommy Welsh will be making his return to OTBAM this morning. We're also going to be speaking to Chris Draft after nine o'clock this morning. He's a former linebacker in the NFL. He used to play for the Rams and he's come up uh, against Tom Brady as well a number of times, so it'll be interesting to get his take on the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. If you've got anything you want to get off your chest, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us, add Off the Ball, or you can comment on the stream if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube. Conor McKeown, the GEA writer with the Indo and the Herald, is with us this morning. A very good morning to you. Morning, on. So we're going to get through the back pages uh, in a few moments, and I'm not here to say that uh, the GEA is a big deal for the first couple of months of the year. But I think it's fair to say you're going to struggle to get many GA stories into the back pages at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, the, like Obviously, the Premier League and its never-ending Premier League-ness kind of rumbles on. But the press call yesterday for the Six Nations dominates the newspapers this morning. And, and understandably so, given the position that Ireland go, in to, uh, go into this year's tournament in. But I think it's a shame too for the GAA because it's so long since we've had, you know, serious inter-county Gaelic games. Like you could tell by the crowd that were, was in Parnell Park a couple of weeks ago for the Dublin-Maid O'Bourne uh, Cup match, despite there were so many people, so many players that they wanted to see not there, that there is a, a really big appetite amongst the sort of GAA consumer public for GAA. But. um I think it 's kind of losing out in the in the kind of marketing or the promotional side of the things this week
1: well that 's the thing like to be fair i don 't think many people actually care about the league except for when it comes to their own county, to be quite honest, so like when we 're doing our pieces later on we 're picking out storylines that are interesting for the year ahead rather than actually previewing the thing and that leads itself to a couple of interesting stories if you had access if for example there was a situation where like with the rugby yesterday joe schmidt uh flying home from the algarve or flying to to london from the algarve to actually go and do a mandatory uh, media event and you were saying that it it kind of uh, it kind of piques your interest in terms of how the ga approach this sort of thing especially in the context of uh, upping ticket prices and stuff like that this week
2: well my major problem with the the ga ticket hike um ticket price hike was that it was actually the most unimaginative way to raise or to commodify the national leagues Um, and I don't think there's enough done on the GAs part centrally to actually promote them and aggressively market them because you know I do think there's a huge a huge gap in the market for people to go and watch those games and like nobody likes listening to journalists moan about access But, but the fact of the matter is like we're at a stage now where teams there's almost a culture of the team that says the less you know gets away with it the best you know nobody wants to see themselves splashed all over newspapers but like like the GAA should care because you know a lot of people get taken by surprise by league matches you know it's like oh this is on this weekend whereas if you had a couple of people who were involved speaking about it in the week leading up or maybe if I had an extra layer of context if you speak to one of the players after the match and they kind of add to the storyline and you know generate that like I hate the word but the narrative like during the week um but that's not really done and I think for that reason the GA loses out. There's an interesting story in the back of the Irish Independent that Martin Bretney has with John Prenti and, and he's making the point that the, the cost of inter-county preparation has spiralled out of control mm. and um, he wanted to put a cap on it or see so could the Central Council put a cap on it. Now, it's a very difficult thing to do because the figure that's quoted in in end-of-year reports doesn't, exact, doesn't always take into account what the, the, the team themselves generated through fundraisers and maybe commercial activity. But... And this is my roundabout way about getting back to the point. But Kevin McStay made the point last year that the GAA essentially should cover the costs of travel and, I think, f- um, food for inter-county teams. Um, and if the GAA, I think, were being smart, they would reach some sort of agreement with these teams. But on the proviso that they provide a minimum number of players at various different stages through the year to promote their to, you know, to the media to promote their games. And I just think, you know, all those things coupled together just means that basically the GA loses out on coverage at this time of year at a time when, you know, like the league is interesting, but it's only really after the first round that it becomes interesting because then we get to see who's there and who's not there and, and, and where the different angles the teams are coming at it from.
1: Yeah, exactly. From this standpoint, it's kind of hard to prove it. But that being said, it is like five months without any inter-county competitive action at the moment. Have you got a bit of a withdrawal symptom going on? Um, I'd like to say
2: yes, but um, no, no, like, I, I am sort of fascinated by what's going to happen this year in the Championship, but the the problem is it's hard to, like, no manager's going to show up at the first round of the league and say, look, lads, we're burning the league, we've no interest in this, it's all about the summer. So you have to kind of, you have to, you know, figure that out for yourself. Like, I don't know how many times we've seen Kerry over the years struggle in the first few league games, then pull off a miraculous victory and 1 3 and the bounce and preserve their Division 1 status. And I think in the Hurling League, and I know we'll talk about it with Tommy later on, it's even harder to get a grasp this year because there's no relegation. Uh, The teams in division won't be, no, they're going up anyway. So there'll be no great pressure on teams to perform. Um, And last year, I think... No, there's a couple of teams who got cold going into the championship. you like the the two teams that played in the in the league final last year. One were beaten in the quarter final, and Tipperary
1: never made it out of Munster. So you're you really know. weapon wedding the appetite here for uh, <laughs> a great uh, national hurling league. Like it is, uh, I think it's probably your twelfth, thirteenth season on the beach at GA matches. You were telling us that uh, your first year, you kind of got a, a, a bite of the cherry early days, being in the dressing room. I think after an All Ireland final, and that's that's definitely changed.
2: Yeah, I think it was the last All Ireland final when uh, media were allowed in dressing rooms. It was the Cork Kerry All Ireland final, and two thousand and seven. Uh and I remember remember being in there afterwards and, and it was just the thing that people did, you know, after those matches. Now you know, I don't think going to the dressing rooms is a particularly uh good way of and, and because it's no longer the done thing, I think players would be very sceptical of people encroaching onto their encroaching onto their dressing room space afterwards. But um Who did you chat to uh, I think we spoke to Declan O'Sullivan and Paul Galve. It was one of those ones where you just spoke to everybody. You know, yeah. everybody spoke. It was a little bit like you know, you see them in the in the Super Bowl after after Super Bowl games. It's a it's an open kind of door policy, and you know, particularly with winners, like they're always in, inclined to talk. Whereas now, like the team that wins the All Ireland, come out of a dressing room and um, you know they're trying not to make eye contact with you as you're standing by the bus looking for a quick word. So <clears throat> sorry, the culture around that whole thing has changed, and I think the GA should be a little bit more proactive, uh, you know, about encouraging these things because, like, there are great stories out there, you know, but it's a little bit like the one about, like, Limerick hurlers are are All-Ireland champions, but if, you know, if the 15 of them walked in here now this morning, how many could you name?
1: Yeah, well, that's true as well. I'm going to make one prediction for this weekend. So, in the Hurling League Division 2B Round 1 at Park Esler, you've got down hurlers against derry hurlers. I dare say no media are going to be allowed into the derry dressing room afterwards.
2: No, apparently they've evoked a media ban, which is, like, you know, the dairy herders are as entitled, I think, to invoke a media ban as anybody else, but I suppose the point is, if the level of scrutiny they're getting from the media, they deem it worthy of invoking a ban. Um, there's
1: something seriously wrong there. Yeah, well, that's the story up on the screen there. So uh, no media being done. We will not be discussing uh, any quotes from the Derry hurling team this morning, unfortunately. Uh, so here's what's coming up this morning on OTBAM. We're going to get into the sports pages uh, in just a moment. Anthony Moyle's is on standby and outside. He's going to join us to go through the football and some of the five biggest storylines ahead of the Allianz Football League. The hurling, then it's with Tommy Wells She'll talk a little bit about ticket prices as well a little bit later on. And uh, the sports news with Darren Cleary at ten to nine, and then at five past nine. As I say, Chris. Chris this draft uh, former Rams linebacker in the NFL will be joining us. to Look ahead to the Super Bowl. Before that, though, it's time for the back pages, and we are going to start with the Irish Independent this morning. And it is Six Nations leading the way. Schmidt's World Cup warning says the headline from Rory O'Connor here. Coach says any drop in standards against England can have ramifications for Japan. Chelsea have completed that Higuain loan deal, as you can see there on the bottom left. And then the story that Connor mentioned just a moment ago: time to cap intercounty training costs, says John Prenti, who is the Connacht CEO. He says maybe it's time that a fair play financial ceiling is put in place on how much should be spent on inter-county teams Uh, are we getting value for money he asks given that uh, five Connacht teams spent almost 6 million euro on team preparation in 2018 so that's five counties 6 million euro spent on team prep in 2018 he wonders are we getting value for money the mantra of our county officers is that our players deserve the best which is true but players come in very low on the expenditure food chain huge amounts are being spent on backroom teams and professional services which appear to be uncontrollable with numbers as large as a small hospital so interesting stuff there uh, from John Prenti on the back of the Irish Independent this morning. Uh, The Times then is England plot brutal test for Ireland. Jones set to unleash heavy artillery in Dublin. Fulham stars uh, assault arrest then, says Matt Hughes. So uh, Abu Bakr Kamara has been uh, banned from the Fulham training ground and suspended indefinitely after uh, actual bodily harm was caused, and he was arrested. So that's a, a mad story there. He's caused a bit of trouble, of course, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Claudia Ranieri, of course, is unhappy with him after stealing a penalty off Alexander Mitrovic over Christmas, and apparently he had to go physically at Alexander Mitrovic during a yoga session at Fulham's <laughs> training ground. So uh, it's a, a fairly uh, ironic story there. And Higuain can score 30 goals, that, uh, that same story there on the back of the Times-Ireland edition, The racing post this morning, then, is penalty notice. Semi-final decider could go all the way to a shootout. It's Chelsea against Spurs in the Carabao Cup second-leg semi-final tonight, and it kicks off at 7.45. Of course, Manchester City, I mean, 10-0 on aggregate against Burton Albion. They're awaiting the victors of that in the final next month. The Irish Times, it leads with uh, yesterday's Six Nations press conference. Relaxed, Schmidt rules himself out of contention for the All Blacks' job. Uh, while Ireland primed for England's brutality. There was this interesting moment yesterday where Joe Schmidt comes out to the media and says, uh, I've been speaking to, to Eddie there and he plans to, to drop a few more grenades. Almost the, the mask has slipped a tiny bit between this idea that Schmidt and uh, Eddie Jones should potentially hate each other, but clearly they don't. Clearly Schmidt just kind of finds him rather amusing.
2: Uh, yeah, like I, I don't know whether it was just Joe Schmidt being, it's the same uh, same story on the back of the mail, bring them on, but um, I don't know whether he was being deliberate in... Diffusing the Eddie Jones sort of villain character, but that's essentially what he has done here. Because I think we'd all like to think that, you know, there's this massive tension between the two and that every time Eddie Jones says something that's designed to provoke outrage, everybody gets outraged. But I think by kind of deconstructing it here as Joe Schmidt has done, I think it probably
1: takes the sting out of it, whether that's
2: in a
3: Does that benefit us, though? Well, the, like
1: the idea that everybody's talking about Eddie Jones and him being a really nasty man and lead up to Ireland England games Surely that benefits the Irish team. There's no pressure on or not no pressure on them. The spotlight is sort of removed from them a small bit. Yeah, I think the only
2: thing really that could have any tangible effect is the comments about Johnny Sexton and the referee. Like whoever I don't know who the referee is for that game, but whoever it is can't not have read that. And as much as you say, well, that's not going to influence how I referee or what Johnny Sexton says to me it will be in your head and it will influence it. Like, you can't not think about it
1: now. But uh, now the rest of the stuff, I think, is probably just a bit of crack and the sort of stuff that we don't see in the GA. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just one last newspaper for me then. It's the front page of the Irish Examiner Sports section and it's bringing brutality. Schmidt and Jones heat up Dublin battle uh, and Tommy Martin there, his column this week, GA can't keep double-taxing the people who keep the wheels turning. Uh, Tommy's column, always always a good read, always an amusing read. Uh, this week he focuses in on uh, the the plot of the graveyard plot that was up for sale at a GEA <laughs> club uh, in Monaghan in Cordoff, uh, Seamus McEnany's club. Uh, Inevitably, death will come to us all, McEnany says, with a and flourish. So this prize really is priceless, he says. <laughs> uh, presumably, Banty will take Mastercard, says Tommy Martin this morning. So uh, he talks about how uh, these volunteers are going out of their way sweating it to make the money for their club at the moment and being as creative as they've ever had to be because, you know, Strictly Come Dancing is no longer a suitable way of making money for your GA club and then suddenly you've (laughs) got to pay extra going into a GEA match at the moment, which is a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. And and the hidden costs, I think, of being a
2: GEA, you know, people say, well, GA members, you know, they, they feel like they're sort of more invested in the thing, so therefore they should have more of a say in how much they pay. But it's true, like, they are, like, Literally invested in this whole thing, you know. Mm. They pay out an awful lot of money to be part of the GAA, to contribute to the GAA, um, and I think it's inevitable. I don't think like uh, I don't think Crow Park will have been taken by surprise by the backlash to the ticket price hike. It was never going to be popular, but I suppose the extent of it might have. The extent of it might
1: have put them on the back foot a small bit. Yeah, I think so. I think the. Exactly, the the backlash. I think at the moment it is very en vogue to create some sort of backlash against the GA. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, But I do think that helps the idea. I think Shane Stapleton was on Twitter yesterday wondering who was actually supporting Dick Clerken's view. And uh, when you think about it, there wasn't actually that many people in support of it. It's like. Does it actually deserve to be whatever uh, 4.9 million people against one person when it comes to this? Because it certainly seems that everybody's against the GEA bar one. Uh, But I think on this one, the majority are are probably well-informed because they're the people who are voting with their feet and going to games and actually... Putting their hands in their wallets actually pay for this. Uh, you've got the rest of the newspapers this morning? Yeah, bring them on. It's Joe Schmidt this morning, uh, again, speaking
2: about Eddie Jones and England, uh, and again, trying to deconstruct the mind games. This is on the bottom of the, or the back page of the Irish Daily Mail. The, the story on the bottom is one um, that's carried in a lot of newspapers this morning, um, and it's uh, Peter Keane, the new Kerry manager, talking about uh, the threat of relegation, which I have to say surprises me, um, unless. Peter Keane is trying to talk down his team. Uh, You know, obviously to be a work in progress and there's going to be an awful lot of change with Kerry this year. Um, And uh, David Clifford is out. He won't have the Dr. Crokes brigade. I think Kerry have a a larger than number, number of players involved in the Sigerson this year because the squad is so young, but like they have an awful lot of quality. They have an awful lot of all Ireland minor winning players. Um, And I just don't think Kerry will be relegated. And I don't, you know, I know they have threatened it the past few years when they've brought an older team into the league and they've been kind of slow burners, but for those young Kerry players who are going up against other former All-Ireland minor winning players for their position, um, you'd imagine there'd be a large degree of hit-the-ground running. I think Kerry might be one of the teams to actually do some of the early running early on in the league. Yeah,
1: for sure. We'll get into that a little bit later on as well with Anthony Moyles. He's waiting to come on in, but Eden Hazard is dominating a lot of the tabloid backpages. Yeah,
2: the Sun, he has more to do. Nice pun with the Sun this morning. Um... Maurizio Sarri doesn't seem to be the sort of manager who has any bones about publicly criticising his players. Um, And a player whose value is probably decreasing because his contract is running up, Eden Hazard might not be the player that you want to upset just now. um, But he's decided that uh, Hazard is... um he says he's not a leader. Yeah, he's not a leader. No, he wouldn't have struck me as a leader in my very uneducated opinion. Um, you know, a, a guy who's kind of an artist like that, I, I don't see him kind of driving the team forward in a, in a Roy Keane style
1: uh, gambit from midfield. Well, the thing is, he has captained Belgium 28 times. Um, and, like, that was during the World Cup as well last year. So he's got the, the captaincy material that was clearly deemed good enough from a, a Belgian point of view. Whether or not it's true, it doesn't really matter because. Mauricio Sarri should wake up and realise that this is a bad, bad idea. First of all, to do it on Saturday <laughs> night, but then to double down this week uh, ahead of uh, a Carabao Cup. Well, Saturday you have a situation tonight. at Arsenal with uh, Mesut Ozil and
2: Unai Emery as well. and I have, I have Ozil, and this, um, maybe I'm being lazy about this, but I have Ozil and Hazard sort of categorised as similar kinds of individuals who want to do a similar amount of work off the ball. Um, and maybe that's just a gambit from, from the two managers to try and get a bit more work right out of the pair. Um, but... It's not going to end well for Sarri. I don't think.
1: Yeah, I would say Hazard probably has the capacity to do more work, but I'd say he also has the capacity to sulk just as much yes. as it does.
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, the star, same back paid, He actually the same headline. He has more to do, and they touch on the Martin Ferris and the doll yesterday, speaking about GA ticket prices, um, and, and like like a lot of people just making the point that it's not like John Horan saying that the the economy is strong. Um, you know, It's never a good idea to, to kind of cite the economy as being the primary force in your, your ticket price hike because, for a lot of places and for a lot of people
1: affected, the economy actually isn't very strong. Yeah. Um, Especially when the, a lot of the tone, and we talk about the, the sort of anti GAA sentiment that kind of exists around the country and the feeling that a lot of it is Dublin centric. That idea of the economy recovering quickly will not help that view whatsoever because the eco- the economic recovery has been very Dublin centric.
2: Yeah, and look, the other thing is, it's one like you know, the economy being strong is a very
1: <laughs> you know, it's
2: a loose phrase it's a loose phrase and like you can you can produce as many statistics to say that it's not to say that it is you know house prices in dublin being higher is only really a sign of house prices in dublin being <laughs> higher so it's true you now if you're traveling from uh you know i don't know there's probably a couple of major distances for hardcore supporters to be traveling this weekend and then to be charged an extra five round the gate um yeah i'd say they're not going to be too uh too convinced by the the, the house prices in Dublin, that it's worth the extra fiver. At uh, the Mirror this morning, um, Paul Scholes, an often outspoken critic of Jose Mourinho's reign. Jose's united, where S, asterisk, 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 E. So you shite. Can- shite. Um,
1: it's probably not the first time he said it, but um, it, makes for a, it makes for a readable back page. It does, it makes for a readable back page. But to be honest with you, his uh, interview that he's done this morning, uh, where is it here? He's spoken to James Ducker, so it's carried from the Daily Telegraph, and... Uh, Printed in the Independent this morning is actually really interesting. Uh, he just speaks about boredom, really. He speaks about the desperation that he wants to get back into some sort of managerial role. Of course, he's been linked with Oldham, he hasn't ruled himself out of the job just yet. Something may or may not uh, come up. Uh, but he says that he's just found it really strange being a BT sport pundit and having nothing to work towards he loves the idea of Monday to Friday and everything focused towards Saturday and that is sort of what gives his life meaning and he's found that really now he's just taken it he's he's half enjoyed the media work but he needs that competitive edge back in his life once again and it is the sort of thing that you always wonder about people who've left the game and who can't get into the, the very few managerial roles that are available how do you get that bug back even in management it's probably not the same no I can't imagine so, and like, Scholes,
2: I was kind of initially struck as a fella who, you know, when he finished playing for United during the week, he, you know, he didn't do a whole pile and then he showed up and he was brilliant again the following week. But, uh, you know, he's already shown signs of missing it in the past when he came out of retirement. Was it a year and a half later? Was mm-hmm. it to come back and that first game back that he he made, whatever it was, 57 of 59 passes or something in the game. But now it's interesting, I thought you said initially talking about boredom that he was talking about Jose Mourinho um, and his Man United team again because I'd say for skulls, you know, for a pundit like that he's constantly quoted when he speaks about United more so than any other... Any other team, I, I'd imagine it just gets quite tiresome after a while.
1: Yeah, there is also the, the news this week that uh, David Beckham's going back in to take a, a bit of a stake in the Salford class as well. They're, they're looking to get promotion to the League Two. So Paul Scholes has got his finger in a few pies, but it seems that you know the punditry um, and. The idea of actually kind of being involved with a club on, on a higher than management level uh, is something that doesn't actually appeal to him that much. He just wants that bug. Uh, I should say as well this morning that we were keeping an eye on Shane Lowry because he's back on the course for the first time uh, since winning in Abu Dhabi last week. It's the Omega Dubai Desert Classic and he's currently three under par through 14 holes, Tongchai JD leading the way on seven under par. We were just saying before he came on air, it's a really weird situation where uh, somebody goes out the last, last week, shoots the lights out for the first time in years... Celebrates pretty well, and then goes out and actually starts the tournament pretty well. So I think Shane Lowry is one to keep an eye on again this week. Yeah,
2: I'd say he's um, he's he's tanking uh, the schedule and the fact that the Abu Dhabi t- t- competition started on a Wednesday and finished on a Saturday, mm. and he had an extra day. But like it's it's it is like if he keeps it going for four days, it will be nothing short of miraculous. Because like even Tiger Woods and his pomp found it hard to win back-to-back tournaments, and you know I'd say he didn't bat an eyelid after winning some of his. And for Lowry to do it the way he did it, like it was. You know, it was that rarity that we, we like we crave when we watch golf but don't often get like a, a proper shootout down the eighteenth between the, the final thing and to come through the right side of that. Um I'm sure there was a second wave of euphoria when he woke up the following day after yeah. winning it. So um I actually saw a video of him on the European Tour website um when he showed up in uh, Dubai and people coming up to him shaking hands and uh, him in the hospitality tent looking for water and his quote was, have you got anything for a hangover? So he definitely <laughs> enjoyed himself but it's to his eternal credit that he's, that he's back in contention this morning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've got one more paper, I think?
2: Uh,
1: what, the, the Herald this morning.
2: Yeah, this morning's Herald is an advertisement on the back but inside um, Frank Roach goes through the uh, the runners and riders of this year's National League Um with the headline so hard to bet against Dublin uh, and that's the thing about this year's National League like people would say that Dublin doing well in the National League and doing well in the All-Ireland series or winning the All-Ireland five of the last six years um, that one is linked to the other, but I think it's it's simply the fact that Dublin are so good they can kind of coast into a league final. You know that they can arrive back at a game two weeks, three weeks after they come back from a, a team holiday and actually start the league campaign in good stead. Because I went through it the other day for a piece I was writing about who might um, who might feature this weekend that we haven't seen before for Dublin. And actually, Jim Gavin has been very reluctant to just sim- simply throw out jerseys to guys like last year. Uh, they played. Kildare in the first round of the league and nine of the All-Ireland final team that would start that year started in the first round of the league, and the right. previous year against Cavan ten as well. So it hasn't been the case where, you know, he throws a load of young fellas into the team, see how they get on, and then gradually builds up the team towards summer. Um, he, he takes the first round of the league pretty seriously, and anybody who's, who's, uh, who's around and who's available will start. Is that your sense that it's going to be the case this weekend? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Now, there, there are players that aren't around. You know, James McCarthy had an operation. I think Kieran Kilkenny and Brian Fenton are on an extended holiday. The couple of Croaks lads carried... Paul Mannion and Keno Sullivan carried injuries for the, for the latter part of their campaign. So like there would be one or two, but I don't think it'll be anything
1: major. Yeah, speaking of injury worries, uh, our man Stephen Doyle was at the launch of the Six Nations launch yesterday and he spoke to Joe Schmidt about his own injury worries.
3: Just on injuries, Joe, uh, Johnny Sexton, is, is he good to go for, for England now or...?
0: Yeah, we'd be super confident there because he trained yesterday and, and it was very light yesterday because there were guys who played on Sunday, a lot of guys who played on Sunday and, and other guys, you know, you go three three derbies in a row, where you go two Europe, three derbies and two more Europe, That's that can be a little bit attritional. So uh, it's just allowing them a little bit of a quiet return. Um, a light run um, or a light bit of individual skill stuff today and then, then we hit the ground running tomorrow.
2: And then just unfortunate obviously then to lose uh, Ian Henderson and, and Ty Burnt injury over the
4: weekend.
0: Yeah gutted for them. Um, you know Ian Henderson has six, six weeks out comes back man of the match in a massive game for Ulster. Uh, Ty Burnt he'd had two clean turnovers he, he, he was playing incredibly well against Exeter who were physically formidable and he was hanging in there doing a great job, he's got line-out acumen as well um, and so that, you know those two guys were a loss but the one thing I would say is um, you know, Alton had been really good in his, his previous game against Sale and Quinn Roo had, had been super for us in November so you know, that's what we're trying to have, we're trying to be able to, to substitute guys in um, that aren't too far off and um, and we're already in comp- competition with the guys that we're missing.
1: Yeah, Joe Schmidt there speaking to Stephen Doyle at the launch of the 2019 Six Nations yesterday. Anthony Miles has joined us. A very good morning to you. Morning, on how are you doing? Very well. We will Happy get New it- year. Happy New Year. It is uh, the 24th of, of January. I've been waiting with
5: bated breath at home for the invitation. <laughs> it's Jesus, nearly into February, but I, I won't take it personal. That's okay.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things I thought we could have a bit a conflict between you before uh, we actually get into the football is the, your stance on NFL because uh, we were chatting about NFL before you went on, and I know you've seen an American football game live. You're not a fan. You're a huge fan of American football, you understand. I understand. Like is this, a, is this a sticking point? No, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, it obviously is. <laughs> this is why they had you on this morning. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I
2: used to watch it when I was a kid when Channel 4 showed it, so I had a loose idea in my head that I liked it, and then I gave it a go when people started. It's very hard on a Sunday night if you're not into NFL like everybody else, addicted to your phone on Twitter, especially when you follow as many sports journalists yeah. as I do, because uh, I have no idea what they're talking about. It's, and, and actually, rugby union has got that well as gone that way as well with uh, with phrases and it's sort of little uh, little nuggets of wisdom that I've never heard, heard before. Somebody was talking about a double jackal the other day in rugby, and I actually <laughs> had no idea what it was. But no, I, I went to see one American football game, albeit it was a college game. It was in Fenway Park two years ago. It was Navy against. Notre Dame I think and we went along it was the night before the, the hurling was in Fenway Park for the first time and we went along it was freezing it was in the middle of December yeah. and uh, uh, the people I went were really interested in it or told me they were anyway and they kicked the ball off and your man caught the ball and he got nailed and then a marching band came on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing happened for another five minutes. So I think we made it to the end of the first quarter. Well, they were probably scraping your yeah, man yeah, yeah. back
1: up off the ground. Yeah. We, 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 wanted the, we wanted
2: to beat the traffic, so he left after ten minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should say you're joining us this morning after the Super Bowl, Mylesy. So uh, that's a, a plug for next Monday week. Uh, just to tell you what's coming up in terms of our preview, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of each match this weekend or specific matches over the course of the next couple of weeks. We're going to pick the five biggest storylines, and here they are on screen: Horns Mayo 2.0, uh, Kerry's new era, Galway did they have a point to prove in 2019? Uh, Ulster's main threat and uh, GAA tickets and rules. The big one coming up at the end. We will start with Horns Mayo 2.0. Uh, it's interesting just like reading some of the pieces around uh, Horn over. The past couple of weeks and months and I think John Fogarty had the point on New Year's Day in the Irish Examiner that 12 of the starting team from that 2014 replay against Kerry are still involved in this squad mm. so it really is Horan's 2.0 it's a very similar squad to the one he left
5: Yeah and, and I suppose there's two questions with that is like is he comfortable with that you know is he comfortable with those types of players and the players that he obviously knows and he trusts them and everything else it's an interesting thing about even just the Horan question like I mean did he feel that it was could he have gone another mm. year? Did he feel that it was not that he was pushed, but that there was a kind of a groundswell that a change was needed? Did he did he listen to the players? I think he was a guy who was very very in tune with the players, and even chatting to him from matches, we did. You know, he was he was very very deep in with the players. He was a kind of a guy. Some managers, I think, take a step back from players and kind of say, listen. I'll 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 lead from here. We'll delegate, and then you look at when some fellas are literally—they know what you have for breakfast. They know your girlfriend, your wife. They, they, you know they're sort of really into it? He he strikes me as that type of a guy, and and from what I know of him, you know he used to spend so much time even talking to the lads, say twenty-five to thirty on the panel, even more so than the one to fifteen. So I'd say he intimately knows the guys then who have come into the panel or into the team over the last few years. Um, I think it's a situation whereby is then the other question is is the talent there? You know, have they actually got the talent in the county? You know, to kind of really make wholesale changes, and it's questionable. Um, it's interesting to see that he has probably put two fellas in this this weekend in the forward line because you know he would have agreed over the last number of years that they have to unearth at least one, if not two forwards, to supplement what's there, and probably. You're really pushing to three now, considering everything that's happened.
1: We can see it up on screen here. I presume you're talking about Brian Reep and Conor yeah, Diskin. Conor yeah. Diskin's first uh, league start for Mayo. Uh,
5: yeah, and like then the rest is all very same, samey, same. You know, like I mean, it really is. Like I mean, you've got you know, and you've even got a few fellows who've just been kind of you know recirculated, like Vaughn in midfield. You know, stuff like this. You've, your half back line is pretty much the half back line of last year. You know, you've Higgins again in there. So, it's look. I think I think he realizes. For a new manager you don 't want to be, you, you certainly don 't want to be going in and getting started and getting tanked you know in the first few league games. you know the league is massively important relative to the way it was say five or ten years ago. It just is from a preparatory point of view from you know, just your standing from all the stats with regard to teams that do well in the championship, generally do well in the league, all that kind of stuff. So you have to have a, 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 some semblance of form coming through it, albeit that you have to try to mix things in and try to unearth one or two guys. And really, that's all you need. I, I think he's going to probably bring that personal touch back into it. Everyone knows the different rumours that were going on last year with Mayo, like who was really managing the team. There was certain influences coming in from players, all rumours and innuendo. But I think Horan would be a strong enough character, and I think the the, the the esteem that he's held, I think, within the panel, certainly was held, I think would be strong enough to win over those guys and to say, listen, we're going to do it this way and we're going to do it all together type thing. Um, I think he has a really good shot this year. Although, you question, are they still, again, on the road mm-hmm. too long? You know? no,
1: well, that's the thing. It, it seems that every year it's kind of like a now or never situation with Mayo. And that's been the case for the last couple of years. They have had a longer layoff, though, from last summer. I wonder, is that going to help the likes of Andy Moore and get a bit more in the legs? But it does seem that. Well,
2: the, the last three All-Ireland finals that they've lost, or maybe even including the semi-final in '15, the replay, um, I remember distinctly standing in the press box when they'd lost an all our final and somebody saying to me, well, that's them finished. They yeah. definitely can't come back yeah, next year, yeah. and they always have. Yeah. So until they don't, I, I don't think you can you can question that. But just on that team, like the, the, the couple of new players that are in it are in the inside forward line, and like Andy Martin's going to be in the inside forward line. Killian Connor's going to be in the mm-hmm. inside forward line. So, like
1: you know, Cameron <laughs> O'Connor still has to come back into, or he's playing midfield. Sorry, he's going to push into the forwards, obviously. Yeah, but like Shame like O'Shea like, back. Like I think James Hornby, one of these managers that would look at it and say, look, here's
2: the here's where the team was. If everybody improves by two percent that goes a long way to making us better and like Paddy Dorkin had a brilliant year last year um, Lee Keegan didn't because he was just coming back after a really bad memory hurt to yeah, shoulder against yeah, Tyrone that yeah. day Dierman O'Connor last year in the game against Kildare in Newbridge was absolutely exceptional and, and O'Connor had struggled for a couple of years af- with injury after having a brilliant debut year and following year so they're the guys actually I think who could make a big difference for Mayo this year Like, but, but like you know, you're still going to need one or two fellas to come along because you have to ease the load on Andy Moore and you have to, like, you can't play Keith Higgins in every single match. It's just not fair. So you're going to need a, a deeper squad. But I think the guys who are, the guys who are already there, if you can make them a more efficient team, I, I, I'd see Horn as, I see Horne as kind of focusing more on that area because he knows that they have, like, they've, they've so much experience with big games. They've beaten every team in the Championship. A lot of these guys were on the 2011 or 2012 team that beat Dublin in the semi-final. Yeah. So they have that experience even despite the fact that, you know, they haven't been able to beat Dublin in an all-or in final. So, like, if you know they can go toe-to-toe with Dublin on the biggest day, albeit they they've failed to do the bit at the end where you win it, I think you'd be very reluctant not to
1: pick them. Mm. Is it harder to unearth scoring forwards is that just an issue around the country in GEA because you look at the new players that, that Mayo have brought in over the last couple of years like your own O'Donoghues and your Stephen Cohens and stuff like that who I think have been very impressive O'Donoghue in particular last year was brilliant at cornerback is it just harder to make it as, as a forward at the moment
5: I think, I think the, 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 like, I mean, the problem for a scoring forward is obviously um, the whole concept now of forward play you know so it's even changed over the last number of years you know if you were a half forward or, or even a corner forward you're expected to work and work like a dog you know so up and down the pitch up and down the pitch so then the owners really came on one or two guys and they've had some good f- forwards in the last number of years like O'Connor is as good as you get Andy Moran was blowing the lights out so you've had fellows who've been in and around you know getting all-stars every year so you're trying to unearth not just a decent forward you're trying to unearth a forward who could go and put his hand up for yeah. an all-star That's what you're trying to unnerve. That's, that's a bit more difficult than just unnerving a fella who's going to get you maybe five or six scores a game with a couple of frees or whatever. Like that, everyone is trying to get that, but you're trying to get a guy who can come toe to toe with, you know, Philly McMahon or Johnny Cooper or whoever or a packed defence and really stand head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, that's tricky. And it's also tricky from a perspective of, like, these lads coming in, they're not, Stupid. They're not in, in in a bubble. They're going to know the pressure that's being applied upon them, even within the county and outside the county, that they have to be the next Andy Moore. That's a lot of pressure on fellas because mm. we've seen them come and go. You know, you know, you've you've had different guys over the last number of years who've, you know, all of a sudden you know, this is this, this is the guy really take on the mantle, and it just hasn't happened for whatever reason. Yeah. Um. I think like the the one thing that I've. You know, from knowing James in, in the small way I do, and just speaking to him with regard to football, like he is that type of fella who who, who will give a guy confidence and who will bring him on. You know, he's not like a listen. Uh, he, I'm sure he is ruthless, but he's but he's at the same time he's very aware of the situation that fellas are coming into, and I think he will try to help guys on and pull the best out of them. And that's why I think you're right in saying that. They were really running without two of their main players last year, you know. Uh, uh, and Keegan was a massive loss. They lost a low, their midfield.
1: The, was sorry. They lost their midfield. For, for Newbridge. Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. And they have to. But but to be fair, O'Connor's performance he was, brilliant. Like, was absolutely absolute, like. I mean, at one stage, I saw him. Remember, he was running and he got like a cramp in his calf muscle, and he was kind he of hobbling him along. Yeah, <laughs> and he was still winning yeah. the ball. And I was going to go on this, laddie. like he was literally dragged off on the stretcher. Fine, yeah. You know, so he was, and he was, a man. and I would have always. Sorry, not uh, not that I questioned his. Just sometimes at half forward, you'd see him a bit, and then you just see him kind of go out of it. You know, and remember, wasn't he sent off then uh, uh, against Galway? Wasn't mm-hmm. he sent off against Galway? And I was kind of going, like, you know, he didn't he didn't seem like a very um, happy character mm-hmm. in that camp. He didn't seem like a guy who was really enjoying his football until actually that game where he just absolutely
1: emptied it. I think it was kind of anger out of anything else. It was just that whatever he channeled that day in Galway into the wrong places, he channeled it into the right places in Newbridge. Unfortunately, he just couldn't yeah. pull them over the line. He almost did. He almost did, yeah. um, and speaking of like uh, kind of a, an older panel and the, the aging nature of that Mayo team, Kerry are quite the opposite at the moment. They've had a bit of a, a clear out uh, over the winter. Connor, you do wonder if there's actually a bunch of young players who've won minor all Ireland from the very start of the run that are actually ready to step up and fill the void.
2: Well, my only thing about this, and I know that Kerry, a lot of people in Kerry are saying and have been saying the last couple as well, it's a different thing to having an All-Ireland minor winning team and having an All-Ireland senior and turning one into the other. But like, is, is it not better to have the All-Ireland winning? Like, if, if a county like, say, Roscommon or Cavan or Kildare, like a county on the... the the fringes of the elite if you want to put it that way the last few years if they had five All-Ireland minor winning teams in a row I think we'd be sitting here saying they're going to shake a leg here like go for the All-Ireland and Kerry are the the county that's best set up to harness that talent as in they won't lose very many of them to Australia you know football is valued in such a way in the county that they'll probably get good jobs, um, they have a brilliant club set up down there with lots of really good competitive games all year round. So like, if anybody's going to harvest it, it has to be Kerry. Yeah? And like, they have more potential than any, like, they clearly they have more potential than any other county in the country at the moment. Whether they achieve anything at senior level comes down to management now, which is why I think Peter King is a very interesting figure for this league. Because like Eamon like a- a- Fitzmaurice always said, like, he was asked every year and he said, look, I pick the best team regardless of whether they're young players or whether they're older players. And I think it was the right thing to do in the context of each individual year. But if your medium-term goal was to build a new team, was to actually harness all the potential of these All-Ireland minor-winning teams, at some stage, the right thing would probably to have been to to, to say, OK, I'm putting all these guys in, I'm going to give them a chance. If they underperform, they're going to get another chance. And then they're going to get another chance, and eventually they'll become a senior team. Because what Peter Keane has inherited... Is is a brand new kind of fresh team, and other than David Clifford and Sean O'Shea last year, there weren't too many players to come through. And they're from the
1: young, the younger side of the the five in 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 a row. row. So, like, are you worried about the progress of the start of the five in a row, the twenty fourteen, the class of twenty fourteen and fifteen?
5: No, I'm not. I I think it's all about how keen positions. the team and himself and the management team. Like, I mean, you know, read a couple of different things about him. Interesting, you know, how he dealt with the older players and that whole fallout. You know, like some not getting calls and all this stuff. And he just kind of said, "Well, listen, they weren't my players." Yeah. So you, you know, buy that? Like, is that a, is that a fair enough thing to say? Again, um, like you know, management is all about. I suppose you know principles and making stands on certain things. Uh, so if he rings or he rings Mar, he, you know, he starts making phone calls around, explaining himself on it. He's already explaining himself. Whereas you know, he comes in and says, listen, I have a brand new clean slate. That's the way he's looking at it. He's not looking at what was on the slate last year, what potentially may be on the slate next year. He's literally looking at that slate. And I think he has to portray that image to the Kerry fans who won't be too patient, right? They'll, they'll be demanding blood straight away, okay? They'll want... All Ireland's and All Ireland final appearances and everything else. Where I think, not that he's going to come in and play the old youth card completely. Otherwise, some says, "Oh well, you know, you have to give me at least six or seven years to build this up." He's not going to get that time, but I think he can buy himself uh, a period of time to do exactly as Connor says to blood players, and then say, "Don't worry about it. Didn't work for you today. We'll go again next time. We'll go again next time." We, and you know, if he can, if he can, it's a tricky thing to do, but if he can get that. Uh, psyche change in Kerry amongst supporters that they actually say okay this is five in a row which potentially in a couple of years could end up being five in a row of the big one well then it's worthwhile waiting this out for a year or two to
1: let these guys develop those you know, couple of years have already passed, though, haven't they? Those those crucial waiting years. That it doesn't seem uh, the patience has come. No,
5: because I think I think I think he had I think he still had had had, had you know I think sorry Fitzmorris had 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 remnants to, I'm I'm picking the best team, so the best yeah. team was then, you know. Whereas Keane can come in and say, listen, I am building for. 2020 2021 he doesn't have to actually specifically put a year on it but he can say this team has a massive role this team maybe are underdeveloped with regard to xyz relative to the top one or two teams but we are definitely knocking on the door and i would expect them to be knocking on the door from talent alone they'll knock on the door but i think if you can do that but all the while quietly preparing them and getting them ready and getting the fire with them and saying, you know, if they if they maybe got to trim him by Dublin, like he'd just keep that lovely, you know, he'd hold on to that for a few. Like I mean, that's what I would expect. Yeah. And um, and I think from I don't know the man, but from reading some sound bites and different stuff on him, um, yeah. I think he'd be smart enough to play
2: that role. And he obviously knows the players inside out, which is a massive. If you thing. go back to even when like when Pat Gilroy did this in 2010, like Dublin played a league game down in Kerry and it was the first time they won in Kerry since the 70s, and he filled the defence with Mick Fitzsimons, James McCarty, Kevin Nolan, Keno Sullivan. And at the time, there were nobody like that. They didn't have any of the underage success. Now, a few of them would win an under-21 All-Ireland that year, Rory O'Carroll, but he went with them in every single game, and he backed them in every single game, regardless of how it went, and they had a couple of blowouts. They had the Mead one in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just went with it and said, look, we're sticking with this, and they've gone on to backbone the defence that's won that many All-Irelands at senior level. And in terms of what they achieved at underage, and probably ability at the same age as the Kerry lads are now, I don't think they will be at the same level.
1: No. Uh, I want to talk about Galway because it's a very interesting one for Galway because there is a sense of backing up what they did last year. Uh, I don't think many people give them the credit for what they achieved last year, but maybe the people not giving them the credit are actually right, that maybe they didn't deserve to be a top-four team, as some people describe them as. Is that too harsh a thing to say? Well,
5: I think their manager is a top-four manager. Um, I think he got absolutely everything out of them that he could possibly get out of them. Um, I think they're a team that, more so than a lot of teams, I think they analyse the opposition and they decide, okay, we are going to play... In this specific particular way to beat this style of uh, uh, opposition, right? So, you know, a lot of people said last year, oh, very very negative, negative. I didn't actually truck with that because they were they were quite expansive when they needed to be. Yes, for certain games they decided, right, we're just locking this one down, like the the Mayo game last year. But then, you know, if they if they if they smell blood, they were able to change things, alter things, put more fellas up top rather than having say just one or two. Um, I think they'll continue to do that have they the talent to go i think i think what will happen is the surprise of galway Instead of teams now expecting go to analyse them, I think you're going to get a lot of teams who are now going to be really focusing in on, on them and saying, okay, here are a number of weak links that we can really go at. Mm. Now, I'm not saying teams didn't do that, but you know what I mean. They kind of, they kind of, not that they came out of nowhere last year, but they brought a level. I think of a, a certain completely different. His, his game changed massively from kind of 17 into 18. I think the style of played it, you know, and I think they caught a, a number of people kind of on the hop um, and. I just think I think they will. I think Mayo will up the game, so I think they'll have it a little bit more difficult. I still think they're up there, top six, top eight, like I mean,
1: it's Ah, not that, yeah. That,
2: that. Like the thing, about it is, is you t- it's how with Galway taking the next step? Like they, th- like they won Connacht last year. They beat Kildare, and Newbridge. They they beat Kerry and Crow Park, but like, they only lost to Dublin in all it's it's and All our semi final. true. So. Like yeah. the next level is a pretty big, big step, yeah. you mm. know, and that's you know. That'll be the big like people t- are going to start talking soon enough about Dublin and the five in a row. But like the question about Dublin isn't really a question because we know from experience that Dublin will be of a certain level. That question is nearly a question about the contenders. Like yes. where will Mayo be? Where, where will Kerry be? Where will Galway be? Donegal, Tyrone. When you get to that part of the season, uh, and that's I think the more interesting storyline over the next few weeks.
5: Big thing that he did do is he got this. Um which, which is massive for him and 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 I think it, it's it's even bigger than anerting players or anything like that is he got he got that idea that Galway are a soft touch at times. God. That definitely yeah, changed last year. There's no that question changed. about that. People didn't go, this is just going to be a shootout. You know, 2-12 to some. People went, OK, this is a dogfight. Yeah, and, and he has that now. I
1: don't expect that to change. It's just more with a potentially resurgent Kerry and Mayo. I do wonder if everybody's just going to bump down the pecking order a little bit. And to, to try and replicate that what they did last year, this year, is going to be a little bit tougher for them. Uh, I did want to ask, uh, in terms of replicating last year, about Tyrone. And just generally about the threat from Ulster. Because I think Tyrone, Monaghan and Donegal are all in very interesting positions at the moment. Very briefly, who's, who's the biggest threat to the all Ireland this year, and in, in, in terms of surprising, us, not even the All Ireland between those three.
2: Uh, well, it's hard to say that Tyrone could surprise you because they got to an All Ireland final last yeah. year. But like, it's interesting that P- uh, P- uh, Mickey Hart has brought back in Kyle Coney. Like Kyle Coney did an interview with, with Slattery in the Irish Independent last year, and he was he was basically reflecting on the inter county career that never happened, you know. <laughs> and now he's back in the Tyrone squad, and we see Peter Canavan's young fill in it as well. And I think there probably be. Like, Mickey Hart is nothing if not a pragmatist, and he'll have looked at the last couple of defeats to Dublin. Like, that's, you know, that's the only team that have beaten them the last couple of years in the Mm -hmm. All-Ireland series, and say, right, what can we do? And I think there might be a change of emphasis from Tyrone this year, um, in terms of how they use their forwards. Because, like, looking, and like, Darren McCurry is back this year as well. Apparently, he was over in America during the summer, and he, he had a great season. But, like, being an inside forward for Tyrone, for the last couple of years, must have been the most lonely job in Gaelic football. Because like people are saying Tyrone don't have inside forwards, they don't have good ones. And it's very hard to know because the ball that they're getting um, is very, very slow. Uh, and by the time they get it, they're surrounded by defenders. So uh, I'd be interested to see what Mickey Hart does because he, he, he is one of these managers who tactically thinks outside the box. He won't say, well, here's the template from last year, got us to a final go with it again and try and improve and see can he get us over the line mm. he'd be well aware that Tyrone were nowhere near Dublin in the All-Ireland final last year that it was a trim in, to all intents and purposes and I think we might see something slightly different out of them. Mm.
1: Right that'll be interesting uh, One last thing before we get into uh, predictions Anthony just a, a quick take on, on the new rules because obviously the hand pass rule is gone but the offensive mark still remains and it's very interesting going through Edna Work's coaching column this week uh, saying about how this is going to potentially reform how teams attack just in terms of successful attacks not needing runners off the shoulder, uh, how inside forwards now at all costs have to be denied clean possession so a lot of pressure on the kicker in the middle third uh, and then also, most interestingly, he says the profile of the ideal middle third player may change. For a team that builds their attacking plan around creating mark opportunities the key architects have to become quality kickers in the middle. So no more big lumbering ball carriers. They've got to kick well, the ball as well.
5: Well, it's funny, I was just going to say that because you know, that ties in with the Tyrone point. Uh, a lot of teams, and especially Tyrone, have a very, very mobile half-back line. So I don't know if they could hit a 30-yard pass or a 40-yard pass, pinpoint accuracy, because we very rarely see it. Their first option is to go go off the shoulder, take a pass, move into that space, and then either circulate the ball back out to a forward loop and around, or just get up there. Very little of you know head up first and pinging passes. So... I think for, he's exactly right, that is the way it's going to change. So there's going to be a focus much more so on half back line, midfielders, and even full backs having an ability that they can actually get up, take a pass, and then ping a pass into a forward line. Then you're going to have, I think, much more f- space, obviously, created inside. Um, will you have defences who say, listen, we're just going to make sure that we, we, we crowd out that space and we allow you get the ball and actually come again to a certain point and then we just shut it down? Because the worst thing you could do is have two and two inside, lots of space, and fellas just win an easy passes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it, that, that's going to be the most interesting one. And I still think, and it's funny, you know, people talk about the rule change as if, like, I mean, from the referee's perspective, but but it actually, as a player, you have an awful lot of players who, for the last number of years, say, as halfbacks, their, their only thing in their head has been to go as hard as they can running with the ball, you know, take it off, give it, go again. Now they all of a sudden have to change their mindset into actually. You know, getting their head up, looking for a pass, and for a lot of them, it'll be actually alien. You yeah. know, for a lot of teams, it'll be alien. You know, you've had a lot of running teams, um, so it it will be a slightly different. Because you know, even in the Tyrone game, there wasn't a whole pile. I think there was only maybe one or two offensive marks. You know, so it, that mindset and that even training, and I know from speaking to, you know, uh, a couple of, a couple of managers. I think they all expected that the hand pass thing would not fly, uh, so they weren't even kind of nearly practising it. But this has to now get much more uh, uh, emphasis, I would imagine, through the league.
1: Well, hopefully, it, it brings some bit of a better spectacle as well. You do feel though that it might take a full league campaign for teams to actually figure out what they're doing, and then it'll actually affect the spectacle after that.
5: Well, are we um, going to go back to the old era
1: of you know three six foot four forwards? You know, it would just be great to see. I hope so. Uh, let's uh, move on to a couple of rapid-fire predictions, which we're definitely going to play back to you in April, uh, Anthony. <laughs> uh, we, we will, we'll presume that you're picking Dublin to win the league. Who, who do you think uh, is getting relegated from uh, Division 1? Uh, I think the two uh, that came up will struggle. So you're going for Calvin and Common here yeah. uh, to go back down. Uh, uh, Division 2 then, uh, it's, is it a situation where the two went back down or going straight back up?
2: Uh Go on, pick me, Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
5: I, I, think, I think that that is a, like, listen, great division. It is a great division. Um, the big thing about that division and the big thing about the league is having four games at home is enormous. Mm. Like, I mean, people don't, you don't really kind of take But I'm telling you, like from playing in it, you know, 4 away games. You
1: mean have four games at home?
5: Yes, Claire, right. Claire, unfortunately for Claire and for Manet, they are the two teams who have three, if only have three games at all.
1: Right. So you would see, you know, if the
5: bookies were looking at it, they'd probably say, right, they're the two who are the outside bets or the inside bet to go down, and they they have four away games. That's tough. Yeah. You know, it is tough. Like, regardless of, even, even as a journey, because it's not like you go down on a Friday and you get relaxed, like, you're generally going on that morning. Um, you're up early. Look, I mean, it's just—it's just a change of routine. And if you're, you know, a lot of new players and different stuff, different stuff. It's just—it's just—it's just not a great. It's just not brilliant, you know, as a day.
1: So for Man and Clare to go down, who's going up?
5: Yeah. Uh, See the Donegal thing, you you would look at Donegal, Donegal's strong strong squad, but they'll need a strong squad, uh obviously with with, with, with the club stuff and stuff going on with Guidor and everything else. So um I think Armagh are an interesting prospect as in can they really kick on? I think Maghini has really focused on this this year having a good strong start and, and, and pushing and causing a few upsets. I think Kildare I, I like I, I thought Kildare were very luck, unlucky last year. Mm. Um but they've lost a few players who I think are vital for them as well giving them a bit of an X factor Um, I would love to see Meade I think Andy has has obviously focused on on, on getting out of the division I think they have prepared well Um, they've lost a couple of players again you know, fellas travelling and different stuff Uh, I I think Donegal will be in there and uh it's a tough league it is a tough it league. A I would good. love to say, me. I think, I think it's a big year for Andy. It's, it's year three for him. And I think they've been there thereabouts. You thereabouts. Know, consistency has obviously been a problem in it. But I think the four games at home will help. It's a big one actually so, against Tipperary this weekend. That actually first league game could be a big, could be a big tell. Tipperary see, were very unlucky last week. You'll time. see if
1: you revise your predictions after the first couple of weeks when we'll have you on again. Uh, we're going to have to move on because we're going to be chatting to Tommy Walsh on the line in just a moment. But first, uh, here's a clip of Dick Clerken from the show uh, the other morning talking about ticket prices.
3: Monaghan got an all Ireland final. I honestly sitting here now, I don't think there's anything I would not spend to have my family there. And that's the truth. I'm sitting now considering a holiday for my family. Right? Like most people with their kids. All right? What are we all willing to pay to bring our kids over to, to Spain or to France for a camping holiday or whatever? Thousands. Don't do it every year on a whim. I would pay anything cheap. If I could get four tickets, if Monaghan got to an All-Ireland final, I had the privilege to get enough tickets to bring my family, I would be thankful for it. And what I would pay versus what that occasion and that memory is for a lifetime is insignificant. And I think that's the point people totally miss. The All-Ireland Final... It's it's not... Everybody understands that. A privilege. It's not a a right just to go because you've gone to games. You know who goes to All-Ireland Final games. It's patrons, it's supporters, it's people who get their tickets every year. It's a reward for the work that they've dedicated. It's not just everyone that has been to a game all year. And that's just the reality. There's only 80,000 people I can get. Everyone can't go.
1: You are... What do you make of that, Anthony?
5: Uh... Well, I disagree with the whole thing. Like, I mean, look, I I remember as a kid going into the games. Like, that's that's and there's been a lot of talk and a lot of people m- making opinions about what Dick said. Um, like the whole thing about the tickets, it's it's inflation. It's what happens, you know. In another five, ten years' time, they're going to be even more expensive. Like, I mean, the GAA is a commercial body. It is a business. It I mean, the people have to realise that. Um, the thing that I suppose that that, that kind of grates me is you know, you see comments about, you know, but we'll plough it back into club facilities and we'll plough it back into foreign games and we'll plough it into here and plough it into there. First of all, I suppose, there's a kind of a, this thing of, there's a bit of a, 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 a lack of trust in the fact of, well, if you get a euro, where does the euro go, right? So where what's the breakdown? Like, I mean, you know, so there's this idea that, oh, well, it'll go into the clubs and everything else, but then you see something like Porky Keeve and people's mistrust even grows even more, right? So... Then that mistrust ties straight into, well, why should I be paying more when you have stuff like this going on, overspending, no one having a clue where money's going, this and this, vested interest, vested parties taking this. So that's where the whole kind of groundswell of disappointment, I would suppose, comes from. Okay. Um, you know, and you say, okay, we're going to put it into facilities. Like, to be honest, and you'd know this. There is unbelievable facilities all over the, all over the country at this moment. You know, you can go to a junior club in Mead and they'll have unbelievable facilities. They nearly have a stand. You know, like there's a lot of money sloshing around. Um, There's a lot of graveyard plots to be sold. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's the thing. And, like, I mean, what, like, what I worry about is, is, actually, are there going to be the players in 10 years to actually fill these grounds? You know, because the one thing that would cost about €100, Euro, and I know you'll say, "Geez, you're harping on about this again, is go in, get a whiteboard, and actually just look at the fixtures list. Like, again, we're in a situation, again, another year is passing. Like, I got the fixture planner for Mead the other day, right? Um, and, basically, in Mead, there is 13 games. You play 13 games in the league, and six of those are going to be done by the end of March. Okay, you'll have two rounds of championship in April. So really, by the time kind of May comes along, if you lose those two rounds of championship in April, and you have six league games, actually by the time you play, you'll have eight league games played. Your season could be over. Mm-hmm. And you're and you're playing in February, March. You're playing in the drudges of of the year. Come June, July, you will have nothing going on. So, like, it's just again, you're in a situation where. Um, I understand, yes, facilities. I'm not, I'm not doubting the fact that money goes into all of those things. But what is the major thing, if you ask any club player, any guy, what is the major thing that they have an issue with? It's the fixture That's list. Right. It's getting themselves sorted, knowing where they are. And if you, that won't cost a whole pile to do it. You do that, you're going to have people playing for lots of people coming through juvenile, lots of lots of bodies, lots of people fill in the ground.
1: Probably more goodwill as well if if the GA managed to make a, a positive move for the vast majority of their members. Uh, I do want to guess uh, Tommy Welch. Just taking this. A very good morning to you, Tommy.
6: Good morning, on. Morning, guys.
1: What do you think of all of this?
6: Yeah, listen. Um, with regards, price, and I don't intend myself to get involved in that side of things. Um, doesn't really interest me, so I tend to just trust the lads that look after them and let them, you know go at it because that's their that's where their expertise lies um like if they're telling us they're putting the money back into the clubs i'll take that because like the clubs are the they're the really the founder the, the fulcrum of every society at the moment that's where everything goes on you go down to any of the local clubs see we're in a different era now we're in we're in an era of the internet of television sky netflix where you don't have to get out of your house. When you come home from work in the evening, you're in your sitting room. You're up in your room. You, you can have a wonderful evening without ever leaving your house. Towards back in the day, you had mass. you had the local creameries, you had, you know, dances. Everything was going on where it was getting you out of the house. Now, modern society, they're doing everything to keep you in your house. What's getting people out of their houses in Ireland at the moment? The clubs. The, the, the clubs, whether you're playing Gaelic football, whether it's ladies' Gaelic football, Camogie, Hurling, under sixes, sevens, nines, elevens. Like we're talking about, Anthony was talking about the clubs and the fixtures. I would say, as far as under 15, we have a set up in regards to GA that is probably unrivaled anywhere in the world. Everything revolves around the Hurling field or, or the, the, the local GA field. It's from there on, probably, is where the problems start. So, what the GA are doing from under underage, and that school's coming up on school, right up as far as probably under 15, it's absolutely brilliant, and that's me, I have children at home, so I know exactly what's going on down there, so if they're pumping money back into the clubs, listen, fair enough, um, but I suppose the the one, you know, I think what Dick said the other day, people are coming down hard on him, I I think Dick, you know, I listened to him the last few years, I think he's a proud GA man, and, a, and a, probably a very good GA club man up there, in man and, and he was talking about, you know, he brings his kids to the to the club games. And, uh, you know, if you go into Century, you can get a ticket for 15 euros. I think it's five or cheaper. but um, And you bring in your kids for free. So I think it was just the way, I suppose, Dick got his point across. Probably didn't sit well with people. Like, unfortunately for Dick, he probably wasn't at a, an All-Ireland when he was eight. I wish I wasn't that in All-Ireland when I was eight <laughs> because the All-Ireland I was at was against Tipperary in 91 and we got bet. So um, I wish I hadn't got to that. And that was going in free again. Now, that time you could go in, jump the styles, and sit in your father's knee, you know. And uh, I remember that time, talk about prices. That time the Cusick stand was £5 cheaper because there was more poles, there was more pillars in the Cusick stand. So we used to always go to the Cusick stand because it was £5 cheaper. And uh, I was there in 91. I was there again as a nine-year-old in 92. And like, talk about... You know memories and like they will live with me forever. The pain of losing in '91, but the joy of seeing DJ put the ball in the back of the net in '92 against Cork. I remember Brian and He was a brilliant corner back. Like in later years, he was a centre back, full forward. But that year, I think he was only 19 that year, and I still remember that I was only nine. He was playing corner back. Real wet day. Uh, had the ball over in front of the, the Hogan Stand. Went to clear it a hundred yards down the line. His hurl slipped out and hit a lad out in the stand. You know, your man just come back into her on we go again. There's no insurance that time. <laughs> so, listen, you know, you're asking me about ticket prices. I don't want to get involved in ticket prices because I know nothing about it. And if they're saying they're pumping it back into the clubs, fair enough.
1: Yeah, just one last point before, before we leave it Tommy um, like your own namesake Tommy Martin in uh, the Irish Examiner this morning uses the, the phrase double tax and it has been one of the things that has been mentioned o- over the past couple of days the idea that there are club members who are doing fantastic work and they're also the ones funding the, the raffles and to, the buy a house or win a house competition and all this sort of stuff and then on top of that b- they've been asked because they are the backbone of the people who attend these matches to put up an extra five euro in some cases 33% in that case to actually go and attend the game I think it is that element of things which is annoying some people Tommy
6: yeah it is uh because you know you're they're the b- lads buying the tickets for the local lip sync they're they're down cutting timber and then buying back a trailer load of timber then the week later for about 200 <laughs> euros you know and that's just the way it is and listen unfortunately prices do go up and like I was in Temple Bar there a few weeks ago I was at Pat Short I God as a Christmas present. I paid eight euro for a pint I wasn't too happy about that <laughs> <laughs> so listen prices go up and it's uh it's not. Listen, none of us like to see it, but unfortunately, look, that's the way that's the way the world goes. And um, yeah, like if you go in, say a century, yeah, for fifteen euros, it's still tough. There's two weeks you go on, and say that's thirty euros, and if you're paying that, you know, every week, and if the, if the if if the finance guys up in Club Park have have good reason for doing it, or listen, that that's the way it is. But um, as long as we remember. Like, I, I've heard it during the week, we're comparing it out to professional sports, like rugby up in, in Dublin and Tormund Park, and we're comparing it to the Premier League over there. We are not, we can't compare ourselves to them because they're not family sports, in my opinion. We are a family organisation. This is our culture. This is our society. This is what gets us out of the houses back in Tullerone or up in Mead or up in Monning, wherever you're from. It, it's not where you just head off with the lads for a few pints or a Premier League game of a Sunday. It's not where, um, you know, you might go up to international man- matches. You might go to one out of three or one out of out of four or go to a November test. These guys go to every league game. These guys go to every championship game in the round robin starts. So as long as we remember, don't compare ourselves to them. We're a family organisation. You're bringing out, you know, yourself and your wife, or yourself and your partner and a few kids. The kids go in for free. But you're also, you know, you're getting something to eat or you're, you're paying for the petrol going up and petrol coming back. You might suffer a bag of chips there on the way home, you know. It's, and this is every week, you know. So as long as we remember, it is, it, 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 it's a family, it's a family organization. This is, it, it's, it's not a product. I also heard it during the week. It's a product. This is not a product. This is a way of life for, for Ireland. Mm. And um, as long as we remember that and stay true to our values, like we talk about values. What are our values? This is it. It's a way of life you go to any GA family. They're going into Norland Park this Sunday, choose the night they're back in the local field, you know, the under-14s or the under-16s or the minors or they're going to a match down in Greg and maybe the week after. So it's a way of life in my opinion. So as long as you don't start comparing it to other other games, professional sports or that, I'd be happy enough.
1: Yeah, well said. Uh, Before we let you go, Anthony, uh, just a final word on that. I guess the, the word disconnect has been used quite a bit this week. Would you buy into the idea that this is just furthering that disconnect?
5: Well, look, Tommy made some great points, and I suppose you know if, if you're if you're following that point down about about it being a family and everything. Like I mean, they, some people would say, well, listen, we're the people who are going every week, and we're being the ones who are then being you know hit every week because of the increases. You know, so a fellow who might go to you know a, a league final or a semi final or whatever it is, he isn't going to really care about it. It's the, it's the, it's the ardent supporters, the person who is committed. But like I mean, you can get the. the you know, you can get the, 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 the season tickets and all that now. I'm not like I, I think I, I honestly think that the the, the the disconnect, shall we say, um and the angst has come from a couple of things over the last number of weeks about stories about overpayment and all that stuff as I said to you. Like I mean the Porky Keeve thing is 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 enormous. You know, when you really sit back and kind of look at it and say, like, how could this actually occur? in modern society with auditors and different people and this going on and that going on. So you then look at, I think, people, like, I mean, I'd say a lot of people would like to know 100 goes in, where exactly does 100 go? And, um, you know, and then people are talking about, say, J.P. McManus and J.P. McManus giving out money to the clubs and all that. Absolutely. But but there's a lot of, there's a massive amount of vested interests in the GAA that, is becoming more and more and more. Like I mean, you know, Tommy is right it is about, but the GAA, the the the, the football and the hurling and what's going on. There's a lot of people who are latching onto that and who are taking out of it what they can get out of it. Now I don't just mean say I'm not talking about the media essentially, right? But the media's always going to be there, right? And I know it's always in there, but there's a lot of other people who are you'll design conferences around it, you'll design wellness associations and around it you'll define marketing and pr and promotions around it and we're seeing that it's it is getting more commercial players themselves are getting advice via the gpa or whatever it is on how to promote their own brand or how to maybe lessen that promotion or you know what to watch out for there's much more kind of awareness of all that and that is just that's 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 branching out from the game you know uh, at the top level so as I say, there's a lot more vested interest in it. There's a lot more vested interest in, than even in, when you go into an inter-county squad. Like the preparation costs for an inter-county squad are just going up every year, yeah. like massive money. And if and if and, and if Connor does it last year, well, we've said this year which is we better do what Connor did last year.
1: And if you do something
5: new this year, we'll do that as well. Yeah. So
1: the costs are always just increasing. Well, that's what we see it in the back of the Independent this morning: six million quid for uh, Connacht uh, County's preparation last year, which is absolutely. Outrageous, really. It's
5: like that'll be 10, that'll be 15, that'll be 20 soon. So, how do you pay for that? Yeah. You know, really, like how, so, like, you either stop it and you try to cap it, uh, but then people will say, well, we need competition and we need a levelling of competition because the big thing, and you can do whatever you want with the rules, right? Like, I I firmly believe I would go in to watch you two. Play against each other if it was a competitive thing. If Connor is knocking the lard out of you, I'm just not going to bother watching it. Right? So, I it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you'd, you'd handle yourself. So, but there, it's it's competition, and that's why you go in and watch Dublin play whoever. Like, I mean, it's not really the rules that are getting you. People are saying, well, the rules can change things, but it's the fact of that there's, there's no excitement in in a game that's one sided. Yeah, I,
2: and I think as well as that, particularly in football, the predominant style of play the teams adopt has that, and that's why the GA introduced the rules. But I think the predominant style of playing Gaelic football at the moment, is hard for people who aren't emotionally invested in one mm-hmm. of the teams to actually just show up and watch. Just one last point on the All Ireland final ticket prices and Dick's thing about... I know he 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 clarified what he said about the eight-year-old or whatever, but I remember going to an All Ireland final in 2000, Kerry against Galway, uh, and I had no business being there because I wasn't working on it and I wasn't from either county, but I came back from going to the toilet or something and somebody said to another guy, who scored that point? And he turned around and he says, the number 14... And it was Porek Joyce. And I remember thinking, whatever business I don't have been at this game, yeah. he definitely shouldn't be here. Mm. And everybody knows that at all Ireland finals, there are tickets that go everywhere. They go all over the place. I think it's only something like 16,000 tickets go to supporters of the competing counties. And there's all kinds of corporate tickets, corporate days, event junkies, people that go to all Ireland finals. Mm. And the idea... That they are more befitting of an All Ireland final ticket than an eight-year-old from one of the competing counties, I don't think sits well with anybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Anthony. We're going to let you go. Thanks, a million. I think we've plugged uh, Monday week so much that everybody's looking forward to your Super Bowl takes and that. So that's when we will see you back in here next. Connor, you're going to hang around because we're going to get into our hurling preview. Uh, we'll have a look at uh, what we're going to be chatting about because uh, there's uh, some f- five storylines once again that we've picked out ahead of the hurling league. So Limerick's approach to the league this year and to the summer uh, in general. Sheedy's Tipperary. We're going to be chatting about that. Uh, the cats in the shadows. Are they going to come back? With with a bang this year, Uh, Clare's next step, and then the new era at Waterford. Uh, Tommy Welch is still with us. Tommy, we're going to start uh, with Limerick there. And the the Limerick approach specifically to this year's uh, National League because with no relegation this year, it's an interesting question for every county, but then there is still an opportunity for Limerick to utilise the the lack of uh, a relegation threat in the league, to give them a springboard to get back to where they were at last year.
6: Yeah, and I I think, say, in the old system, when it was knockout championship it was grand to have gone hard at in the league full belts which are which are full team um for the five or six games but i think the way we have four or five uh, uh, games in, in kind of the, the league, the Munster League or the Leinster League Championship now during the summer. That I think you can't um, take the, the league too intensely as in picking the same team the whole time. So I think this will suit Limerick as All-Ireland Champions on because now they don't have to pick their best team every time in the danger of being relegated. They've, this is their first time up in Division 1A since 2010. Um, they're going down to Wexford Park this Sunday. Like, where else would you rather go? Like, probably the best supporters in Ireland um, wh- when they're there. And I, I'd love to be down there at that game because you know the All Ireland champions coming down to Wexford Park. Like, we've seen Limerick. We've seen how they've carried themselves since the, the All Ireland. The one thing that I would be always worried about. Especially New Waller and Champions is especially the way you know, the professionalism we're kind of watching other sports now is that they don't celebrate it. They don't enjoy the victory. That they try and park it straight away and look forward to next year, trying to get the most out of themselves. But they were able to do both. And they met a few of them on different occasions and wonderful guys like and you know, real happy Delighted to win the All Ireland, and listen, in January then we'll get back down to it, and you know I'm sure they were still doing their gym programs and still doing maybe a little bit of running on the side. So I was delighted and, and congratulating them the way they carried themselves after the All Ireland this year. I think what's important for John Hiley is, and I said it about Galway last year, is he going to pick guys because these guys have won the All Ireland for, for Limerick since first time since 1973 after so much heartbreak. Is he now going to put all his faith in them guys? So you say if two or three of the main guys from last year. Um, maybe Kyle Hayes and maybe Shane Dowling and, um, you know, Mike Casey and a few of them. Say they start going out of farm in a hurling well. Is he going to stay picking them because they've done it last year? Because you can often fall into that mindset. These guys, they haven't let us down on the big occasion before. They won't let us down again. I think when you're trying to win back-to-back All-Irelands, you have to keep lads on their toes. And if there's a lad putting up his hand in in training, Peter Casey or Barry Murphy or some of these guys, if they're putting up their hand in training saying, I want to play in this team, well then I think you have to pick him. So I'll be interested to watch the team selection from, from John Kiley, especially when he has everyone back fit. I know that... There's a few injuries coming up this weekend. I think Mike Casey, they, they could have a problem with full-back um, position in the first match or two because I think Mike Casey is injured. I'm sure Richie McCarthy or the Warrior himself is you know, out for another few months recovering from a cruise ship. Seamus Hickey retired during the winter. So I'm not sure. Maybe some of the Limerick guys will know. There might be someone from the club scene might, or one of the cornerbacks, Richie English, or that might step in. But... You know, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when they're full panel back at full health. Will John Kiley pick the lads that are in form or will he stick to the guys that won it last year?
2: Tommy, what sort of um, effect do you think it's going to have, the fact that the, the, the league is being restructured next year? Like, like You talk about Limerick there, and I think it's the last seven years in a row, prior to last year, they couldn't get out of Division 1B. And it was a big source of angst. Like Their, their, their spring, their league, always finished on a real down note when they took... And now they got up to Division 1A, and they're restructuring the league anyway so everyone's going to be in a kind of two two or sort of split division one next year like the league has been brilliant in Hurling for the l- last few years, particularly because the teams that lose early on, Kilkenny's been the case in point last year, they lose early on, they're under pressure, so they have to get it together, they have to, you know, they have to get something going to win games, but the fact that that pressure is not there now, like, will it, will, is there any particular team you see that having a big effect on, or will it just be as a, as a whole, like, in terms of how competitive the league is, it'll have some sort of effect?
6: Yeah, well, I think what happened, like you're wondering about Limerick, you know, are they going to say, oh, God, we've tried for the last eight, nine years trying to get out of here. Suddenly we get out of here and, they start, and you know, they do what we wanted them to do all along, which was, you know, merge the two leagues. No, I don't think they'll care <laughs> for the simple reason of the result of what happened last uh, August. Yeah. Um, so they won't care at this stage because it was the springboard doing so well in the league and getting out of the league last year for them i think was one of the major springboards for them to go on and win the all ireland because they knew then they could do it in the white heat of battle and uh, for the rest of the teams like when i was playing in the national hurling league for for Kilkenny all them years i think that's the way it's gone back where you know if you did well in the league great and if you don't you know that there's no real big threat of relegation what it means is especially for for the youngsters that they can be picked that the manager isn't worried uh, about results. He's worried about finding players for the championship. So I think the league is going to... The, while the results won't matter a whole lot... To, you know, obviously, they like to stay winning, but there won't be the be all and end all. What will be very important, though to the managers, is finding players because we all seen it's it's a tough campaign. Once you get into that Leinster campaign or the Munster campaign, you have you know four matches in five weeks. Or it might be a little bit different this year, but it's still a tough campaign. A lot of matches in a short period, pick up a lot of injuries, so you need a big panel. We've seen the All Ireland champions last year, Limerick. They used their panel and were probably the the team that best used their panel last year. So I think that's what the likes of Liam Sheedy, the likes of Brian Cody, uh, the likes of Park Fanning below and Marford. they'll be trying to find players during this league. And listen, at the end of the day, while it mightn't be the be-all and end-all winning or, or losing, form still matters. Mm. And if you, especially for the like, likes of a new manager coming in, likes of Sheedy or Fanning, they come in and get a few wins under their belt early. Um, suddenly the players are believing him suddenly they're saying listen we can go somewhere here um, like we've seen what happened with Waterford last year you know and that uh, poor campaign unfortunately you know, it kind of carried over into the championship so I think it's important that you go out and you give it everything but at the same time that the aim would be to find players as opposed to winning the league
1: Tommy how big a factor is uh, Liam Sheedy going to play in the course of hurling over the next couple of weeks and months?
6: Yeah, big factor, big factor, Owen, because everything Liam Sheedy touches seems to turn to gold. Um, like I know, know him from the bank side of things. He works at the Bank of Ireland. Um, does very well with the bank regards the the customers, the, the the people working with him in the bank. They all have so much time for him. You know he's a good guy. Um, he's really able to get guys to rally around him. He went off and you know he was a pundit for for the Sunday game. Did very well at that. We all saw what he done with Tipperary in 2010. Um, And it wasn't even the the results, really. It's what people say that that are surrounding him. They all would nearly die for him. Like, he reminds me of of, uh, Jose Mourinho when he was at Porto, when he was at Chelsea, when he he was at Inter. Like, the players that time for Mourinho would die for him. They would literally do anything for him. And he made him feel a million dollars. Like, he made him feel like they were the best players in the world. And um, I think he's having that effect. Like any stories you're hearing coming out of Tipperary at the moment, they're all positive stories. They're training really hard. You hear God, he's not going to weddings. Um, he's after making Shamie Callinan captain. You know, um, you know, Seamus Callinan captain was a significant. Um, you know, because I'm sure he didn't name him straight away. He went back, saw how training was going. And, you know, Shamey must be sticking his hand up, showing great leadership qualities, because Liam Sheedy wouldn't have picked him to be captain if he didn't think he was the right guy. And he did the same thing with Owen Kelly back when he came in and, and managed Tip in 2009-2010. So, yeah, the, there's positive signs for for Tipperary with Liam Sheedy there, and he just seems to be a guy that gets everyone to rally around him.
1: If Sheedy is Jose Mourinho, then Brian Cody is obviously Stralex Ferguson in this whole narrative. How big a say are Erkel Kenny going to have here? It, like, is it a, a sense that there is sort of a, a fight back from them required this year? Or are they, are they actually a bit closer than we think, Tommy?
6: They're closer than you think, I reckon. They're, they're growing as a team. Like, They had a magnificent campaign last year for young guys coming in. So many young guys coming together. Um, this year, why have they a, a chance? They have a chance because... To me, like, there's no one, we've seen it with last year, everyone was able to beat everybody else. Nobody feared any team in last year's championship or league. And I think it'll be the very same in this year's league and championship. So, for Kilkenny, um, they still have star players with a great mix of youth. You can't beat youth on. They come in mm. with enthusiasm. They come in with, with confidence. And then if you have the older guys to kind of help them along, then you, you have the makings of a team that can challenge. So, I think, listen, I'm not going to be predicting them to win the, the All-Ireland. Uh, my predictions lie elsewhere but did they have a chance to challenge for the all Ireland? no doubt about
1: it Your second cousin your same name Tommy Welsh what sort of player is he going to be?
6: Ah he's he's, you know I've been watching the last few years with the club seen him since he was a very young guy he's brilliant a brilliant player and he's fast really really quick and you know especially um, the way guys are are playing the ball around now at the inter-county level like everyone is just you know speed 100 miles an hour and he'll be well able for the pace of the game um, the only thing is, he's young, so he'll need a bit of luck Like um, you, you can't beat luck when it comes to playing inter-county Or playing top-level sports, you know, a guy getting injured Then suddenly you get in, play a few good games um, Like I remember playing St. Kieran's College, the under-16 uh, panel was named And a few of us lucky enough to get on it And we were playing our first league game And Chaffitz-Patrick, you know, Chaz probably one of the best midfielders I've ever played with. He was absolutely brilliant. And his brother, he had a brother that was a great cornerback, Dick Fitzpatrick. And Dick was played to play cornerback. We were playing, I think it was Peters below in Wexford. And um, I was a sub. And before the game, Dick got sick. And um, this is the first match and I, I came in, It must have been the first sub for, for, for the cornerback position and stayed on the team and we ended up winning the championship. So it can't be <laughs> a bit of luck going so, <laughs> so hopefully he gets the same luck maybe that I was.
1: Fingers crossed uh, from his perspective. Yeah. And it's just a couple of other counties you wanted to touch on briefly, Tommy. Clare is one of them. I'm very interested in Clare this year because they clearly aren't that far away. But is that almost... Is is there a threat with that as well, Tommy? Because you almost want something to change. You almost want to find this obvious thing. And I know Shane O'Donnell isn't there this year. Or maybe they can try and get him back for the business end of the summer. But there isn't exactly a tangible thing that they can point to and say we can make a big improvement in that area because they were so good last year.
6: Yeah, and I was very like themselves and Watford would be my tips for for, to win the Lee McCarthy this summer. Why? I think the Clare guys have their mojo back. Um, It wasn't going to happen overnight. And um, they were playing so structured for so long. Like the likes of Tony Kelly. If you're following last year's club uh, matches, Blow and Clear, Tony Kelly scored 1 9 from play in um, the semi final. Um, I think they're playing against O'Callaghan Mills. He scored um 11 in an earlier round as well. Um, like these guys just need to be let go. And I think they're, they play a lot more positive the last year. Um, you know, there was not as many sharp puck outs. You know, you have to be able to mix it. We hear um, Liam Sheedy coming in earlier on in the week saying, you can't play 15 on 15. Listen, we all know that. But you still have to play a positive attack in That's They're the teams that are winning the All-Irelands. They're the teams that are winning the big prizes. And I felt last year, Claire definitely made a much more positive step, step in regards to playing positive hurling and attacking hurling. You have Peter Duggan up front. we see seen what he done last summer. John Conlon. So they have the strong guys to poke the ball up. Then you have the likes of Tony Kelly, Podge Collins. You have McInerney, you have all these guys, Conor McGrath, you know, floating around the wings. Uh, David Reedy had a great, great summer last, last summer, and Galvin coming off the, the bench played well. So they have the players, I think, when they're let go at it. And I thought last year, suddenly they were starting to win games. They got to Crowe Park for the first time since 2013. They're in the second Munster final in a row. So I think the tide is turning for Clare, and um, I think they will have a, a strong summer.
1: And I need to ask you about uh, your Waterford mentioned there. Like the, there is some talk that it's going to be a completely different side. You expect big things, obviously, from Project Fanning and his team this year. I do.
6: Now, this is nothing against uh, last year's management or, or whatever like that. It's Park Fanning is a new manager. Usually, when a new manager comes in, it just kind of gives a new lease of life to a team. It gives a new energy, new excitement, because everybody suddenly thinks I oh, have a chance of playing here. Uh, what's going to be different? And I think you know a lot of these guys have won 121 21 All Ireland and won it convincingly two or three years ago. You know they beat everyone by 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 a good good uh, number of scores. So I see the likes of Ozzy Gleeson. The light up front, especially, because I think they will play a lot more attacking. Listen to Parag Fanning the way way he's given his interviews. He's definitely open to playing um, a few different styles. So I'd imagine they'll play a lot more attacking. So suddenly, when the ball goes up to the two Bennett guys, they're not playing against maybe three or four extra defenders. It'll be up maybe man-on-man. You have Patrick Curran. Wonderful underage player. You yeah, have Pargo Mattini. We won't see him until after Bally Gunnar finished the, in the club championship. But another guy that loves going around playing with the ball. So I think Waterford have uh, and they have a wonderful hurlers and they also have a wonderful age kind of profile. You know, you have to break. He's the only guy maybe in his mid-30s. Again, a guy to win the ball. Kind of a John Conlon, kind of a Peter Duggan strong man that can win the ball. So they, they, they will be able to mix it up. So I expect this year, if they can get a good start to the year, They can definitely go on and win the All Ireland.
1: Tommy, could 2019 be an even better year for hurling than last year was?
6: Yeah, why not, Owen? Why not? Um, The the teams are there's still no standout team. They're all, you know, they're all kind of wonderful hurlers, if you like. Um, So I think why not? Um, The home and away is brilliant. Like I would love to see if Watford have games below in Welsh Park. Imagine the crowds. Imagine trying to beat Water down in Welsh Park. Maybe a crowd of six or 7,000 people all shouting for Water. They had no home games last year. Um, so I think the home and awaiting, it just brings pure excitement to the towns. It brings uh, a confidence. We've seen last year how much uh, home advantage you know play. so suddenly if you're the overwhelming favourite when you, if you have to go play away go down to maybe Wexford Park go down to Welsh Park suddenly then you're not the favourite that you thought you were and anything can happen so yes I think it can definitely be another brilliant summer and hopefully it'll be even better than last year
1: Tommy enjoy the weekend's hurling we'll chat to you again soon
6: thanks lads best of luck
1: Tommy Welch there uh, on the line from Kilkenny what do you reckon do, do you buy into the idea that Clare and Waterford are set to do big things well Waterford are really interesting
2: because you know, everyone would just presume that they had a terrible year last year because they didn't get out of Munster but if you look at the mitigation like, like they had that, you know, the ball that was caught, behind, caught on the line by Eddie Gleason against Tipperary that was given a goal that shouldn't have been if you remember after their first game against Cork when the Sunday game listed the list of injuries they had there was chronic level of injury and they had no home games in Munster and still they nearly got out of it so like, despite the fact that they had a down year year, Last year, after getting to the, the final of the previous year, they weren't that far away. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't that far away. Uh, it just it depends on how the group takes with party Fanning. You know, you never know what sort of dynamic is going to sort of take over with a new manager, particularly one like Derek McGrath. Like coming after Derek McGrath is going to be a hard gig to follow because. It's a bit like we were talking about James Horne early, earlier on. Like Derek McGrath was definitely the kind of manager that had a had very close and intimate relationship with a lot of the players, particularly the ones that he, he had in school in De La Salle. So uh, it depends on how they take, but I think their potential is huge. huge. Yeah. When
1: you talk about following up hard acts, I mean, 2019 in general, from a hurling perspective, it, it is one of those things, though. It was so hyped up last year, and it lived up to the hype. I think it's going to do the exact same thing this year. It just can't not be uh, another brilliant year. It, unfortunately, it might just be the summer before we actually get uh, the real barnstormers because of the lack of relegation. Uh, Conor McKeown, thanks William for coming in this Morning. Good morning, we will chat to you again soon. Uh, so, former NFL linebacker Chris Draft is joining us in studio in a few moments around Lung Cancer Awareness Month for the Irish Cancer Society. First, though, let's bring you through a few bits from last night's Six Nations launch in London. We're going to hear from Alan Wynne Jones, Warren Gatland, and Conor O'Shea in a moment, but we're going to start with Rory Best here on the lifetime ban handed down to the Ulster supporter who racially, who racially abused Simon Zebo.
3: Your own thoughts on what happened yesterday with your club Ulster banning that spectator for life after what he said, Simon Zebo?
1: Like I think, uh, there's no place in that in rugby. There's no place in that in sport, and actually in, in society at all. And I think it was
2: good that Ulster were were very quick to act. You know, to, to interview basically all the season ticket holders to get all that piled up, and then to take reasonably swift and, and very severe action. I think it, it sends out a message, and I think it's a player group having not been there but I know as a player group that, that we don't find it acceptable what was said um, and the way it was said and I at to a game of rugby and I think the actions from Ulster were were great and, and to be admired
3: Alan the back to back Grand Slam has only been done five times in the history of the tournament never in the Six Nations era do you think it's possible to do it in the Six Nations era
7: um, oh, I, I don't know I've got no premonitions on whether it's possible or not I know uh, yeah, what, what did we with a Grand Slam and a Championship a few years back, but um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do, and it's not necessarily um, the um, the rugby. I think it's, it's it's everything. It's not just the, the not just the, the national rugby, but it's the season as a whole. You look at the number of games uh, players play when they come into the competition. Out will it ever be done? I, I, I wouldn't
4: say no, um, but it's very a very difficult thing to do, particularly.
7: You know, in a, in a game um, that we have and how many games you play so close together you, know, you play two European games back to back, you play an autumn of four games you know, this is spread five games over seven weeks So, the answer to your question is um, I don't know, but I'm not a gambling man
3: Connor it's never been done in the Six Nations era but is it possible for a team to do back to back Grand Slams?
4: Oh, I think if uh, I think if someone does a Grand Slam this year uh, it will be an incredible achievement because I just think the level of the competition is just enormous and if you're slightly off your game uh, you will come a, you'll come a cropper you look at Wales haven't lost 9 or 10 test matches Scotland have the two teams in the Champions Cup quarters and we'll go in with confidence and, uh, Ireland are where they are England, France and ourselves but um, I think it's going to be very very difficult to do that I think if Ireland do back to back they will be favourites for the World Cup not New Zealand
3: if they are missing Johnny Sexton on any stage during the tournament and had to bring Joey Carbery in, does it make their job harder? Or Do you think Carbery can be as effective as Sexton?
8: I think um, that move for for Carberry going to going to Munster and playing Wrigley in the, in the number ten shirt, um, you know, I think he's got better and better as the, as the season's gone on. So look, I think yeah, they and Joe will be very aware with with Ireland that um, they need to to be be prepared and to you know potentially manage um, Johnny because you know he has had injuries and in, in, uh, over over the years and you know I have to be comfortable that if he does pick up an injury or gets a knock um, they've got someone of the quality of, of Joey and, and someone who's ready to go in and fill Johnny's shoes and so um, you know I think they've been working towards that and and I think why a big a big part of the push for Joey to go and Leave Leinster to play somewhere else was the, the thinking about the bigger picture, and the bigger picture was you know, getting, getting big matches and playing in Europe and doing well, and obviously he's done well in the last match um, to, um, to be prepared to pull Johnny's shoes if, uh, if, if the call was needed.
1: Yeah, Warren Gatland there speaking at the launch of the Six Nations 2019 Tournament yesterday. Stephen Doyle was over there for us, of course. It is Ireland against England in Dublin on Saturday week. We can't wait for that one. Right, so our our next guest in studio is with us with thanks at the Irish Cancer Society because it is Lung Cancer Awareness Month 2019. So over 2,500 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. Uh, It is the leading cause of cancer death in both sexes with an estimated average of 1,865 deaths per year. The Irish Cancer Society is urging the public to be aware aware of their lung health and asking them to take their online lung health checker Check lung health. You, this is available at cancer.ie forward slash lung. That's cancer.ie forward slash lung. The checker also includes a downloadable letter which can be taken to a GP to enable a discussion about lung health and early detection is vital. If a patient is diagnosed earlier, there are more treatment options and a real chance of cure. For more information, as I say, you can go on to cancer.ie and now if anyone uh, listening or watching has any advice at all, you can now call the Cancer Nurse Line uh, on 1800, 200, 700 if you need any advice whatsoever or drop into one of our 13 daffodil centres and hospitals nationwide. Uh, if you have any questions. Uh, now, we do have a treat for you in terms of the guest that's put us in the studio, because he's played for the Bears, the 49ers, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Bills, the Redskins, and, of course, the Rams, who are in this year's Super Bowl. Chris Draft, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my pleasure. So uh, we've got to immediately talk about the Rams, of course, because uh, they're in the Super Bowl. The, the thing I often wonder is, and it's such a quirk for people who aren't used to American sports, is the yes. fact that you played for the St. Louis Rams, uh, yes. and they are now the Los Angeles Rams. Yes. Do you still have that affinity towards the franchise?
7: So, they were the St. Louis Rams. Now they're the LA Rams. But before they were the St. Louis Rams, they were the LA Rams. True. And so, not just the LA Rams, but they played in Anaheim. And I grew up in Anaheim. All right. So, when I went to St. Louis, people were like, How do you know so much history about the Rams? I said, Where were the Rams before they were in St. Louis? They said, I said They were in Anaheim. Okay. So, I grew up right down the street from the stadium.
1: So, is it fair to say that you always wanted to play for the Rams?
7: Uh, it's it's fair to say that playing for the Rams was the men I played at home. So yes, it, it was. It was. It's fair to say. Hmm. It's very interesting looking
1: at this year's Super Bowl matchup. There's tons of things to talk about. I was doing a bit of research yesterday, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think you played against Tom Brady three times. Uh, like I'll,
7: it, it might be three again. You 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 know the numbers more than anything. I think we actually. I think I actually played against him. I like think his first start was against us in Atlanta. Right. Okay. First start. So. Somehow that was the beginning of it. I remember that year when we played against them and we lost, right? And so many people thought we were just a terrible team because they said, there is no way (laughs) that you lose to the Patriots because at that time they just didn't have, you know, the swagger that they have right now, the kind of expectation of a victory that goes along with being a a Patriot, it it just wasn't there the same way.
1: That's weird. It, It almost feels weird to think about a superiority complex when you're coming up against the New England Patriots. Was it a similar view of Bill Belichick? Because I think Tom Brady's struggles are well documented, even from his college days and to not getting the number one QB jersey with New England. Was Belichick viewed in a similar sort of mediocre manner?
7: Well, if you look at Belichick, Belichick was the defensive coordinator with the Giants, so a tremendous success, mm. right? But then he went to Cleveland. And he went to Cleveland, he didn't have success. I mean, he was a, he was a part of that long line of, of, of Cleveland and, People that didn't really do so well. And so when he he took over the Patriots, it wasn't like, oh, my goodness, this is Bill Belichick. It's just going to be great. Everything is going to happen. It's going to be transformative. You know he's going to probably just go to the Super Bowl all the time, and he's probably going to have five championships. Nobody nobody was saying that. So it's the early part of his career. And then you put in a Tom Brady who was a sixth-round pick, who is slow as molasses, who (laughs) wasn't even... You know, it wasn't that the guy even at Michigan? So to think that he is going to not just be the guy, but then end up being the greatest quarterback in the NFL—that, you know, not at all.
1: I often wonder if Belichick could exist in this sphere of greatness without Tom Brady, and could Tom Brady exist in this sphere of greatness without Bill Belichick? What do you think?
7: Well, I think that's what, that's the real greatness. The greatness is identifying your players, identifying the people that that really vibe with with your system. So. You know, that's when you see great teams, great teams are able to pick the people. So to really see the, the greatness it's not that Tom Brady and Belichick are together is to realize that they've won five Super Bowls. But how many players have won five Super Bowls? Mm. Tom Brady's the only one. So as those teams have progressed as, over those years of those Super Bowls, there has been so many other players that have gone through and so that, that's the real greatness of Belichick. It's not just the relationship with Tom, but it's the relationship with, with a team that is very honest about the players that they need. Yeah. And putting them, you know, finding that next guy, knowing that we have to find the next guy. Because the greatness, if we, if we sat back, and they don't do that, they don't sit back and say, man, we're so great. Let's just sit on last year's success. Let's sit on two years ago's success. What makes them great is that they understand that every year, every game, they have to compete.
1: Well, that's the thing, and in a league that is so competitive, as you can definitely speak for yourself, uh, and in terms of, I guess, an aging body that is Tom Brady, it's just the I don't know how they do it. Is it just a constant looking for new ideas that Belichick is actually far more futuristic than we give him credit for? No,
7: it's, I wouldn't say it's it's so futuristic as much as what what he's doing is he is he understands and accepts that the greatness that they have. <laughs> just challenges other teams to want to beat them that much more. Sure. So if you think the team is going to take a break, that is just not going to happen with the Patriots. So he's going to get everyone's best shot. Mm. So he's not going to sit back. You know, that's the true greatness of the Patriots is that they're going to get everyone's best shot and they're still winning. Yeah. Right. They've lost players and they're still winning that they've continued to find those guys and put them in the right positions and then challenge them to say, just do your job. Trust me, if you do your job, we will put you in the right positions and we'll win.
1: It's, uh, it's amazing because when you talk about coach-quarterback partnerships in the NFL over the last couple of years, to be fair, Jared Goff and Sean McVay have been two of the most spoken about. It's been one of the most spoken about pairs Absolutely. outside of Belichick and Brady. So it is curious that we have uh, this Super Bowl between the two franchises and it is going to be the talking point. When you talk about McVeigh and Goff... Is there any way you can see a future for those guys to get into that sphere, or is it way too soon to be talking about well, that sort of thing?
7: I, I think you look at indicators. I mean, you, you, you can't put them someplace that they haven't earned, sure. so they have to earn it. But I think the last couple of years, you, what you, you've seen is a tremendous relationship, and that relationship is completely changing how the league is looking at their head coaches, mm. which we saw with the, the new hires... <laughs> After people got fired at the end of the season, they're all looking for those offensive coordinators that have that a little bit of that flashy style so they can flashy, trade find the quarterback. But what's crazy about it, if, if you can see it, what's really crazy is that if you put a, a Belichick and a Tom Brady together and you talk about a McVeigh and a golf, that Belichick is a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Right? So it's still possible to be able to have a relationship and still win In so that they're you know, they're, they're making it seem like they have to have that offensive mind. But Belichick has actually shown that if you have a strong offensive coordinator, you can still win with the defensive head coach.
1: Totally. Like what, I often think that if you're a defensive coordinator, you've studied opposition quarterbacks so much that you actually get an offense quite well. Like as a man who plays uh, on a defense, is Tom Brady the best quarterback you've ever come up against? Like I know uh, at the time that that first I, I, game...
7: What I, what I would say is that he is the, he is the best, w- the winner... That we have. I mean, the numbers just say it flat out. Just say it. If you if you went out there and you, you because he he's not this physically dominating kind of specimen of a guy, it, it's hard to just be to say well he's just the the greatest because people think of ath- athleticism. But in terms of a guy that really understands the game that is executed that makes his guys better, he is absolutely greatest. And when you look at what they've been able to accomplish, that is not just because you have a, a great owner. Or a great head coach or a great gm or just a great quarterback, it is a group of people that understand that we win together and they are bought in, and that all the moves all the all the adjustments that are that happen, they buy into them together who's going to win on sunday week well again that's a, I have to say rams i I, I have to say it and, and uh, because I played with the Rams, so I have to say it, but the real deal is whoever plays defensively, whoever plays. The strongest. Um, Offensively, whoever's able to run the ball and establish. So they say that the games are won in the trenches. They always talk about that. This game will be the same. Belichick's going to have a great defensive scheme. He's watched the tape. He's ready. And the Rams are going to have to take a hit early on and be able to adjust. And their ability to do that, just like they did last week against the Saints, their ability to do that will be the key to their victory.
1: Yeah, I thought it was game over for them after the first quarter on Sunday. Uh, You are in studio, Chris, with us uh, with thanks to Irish Cancer Society's Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, Can you tell us how your own life has been touched by lung cancer?
7: So I I tell people that no one wakes up and says, I want to be a lung cancer advocate. Nobody just jumps up and says, please, please let me be a a, a lung cancer advocate. And that's the same in my case. Uh, I finished up playing in 2010. I was with the Washington Redskins in I go home, you know, I got released. That was my 13th year, and I thought, man, I, I think I got one more year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my body was like, no. If I said, no, I think it, no, I go get it. And so I was at home, and I'm still working out just to possibly be able to go, uh, go back. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time was challenging me to do P90X and, and run a 10K race, so it was some crazy exercise you know, routine. And all of a sudden, she had a little shortness of breath. So 37 years old, never smoked in amazing shape has a little shortness of breath. And because she wasn't someone that would would hide you know, hide or, or deny that there was something that was wrong and, and not go to the doctor, she went in right away. And when she went in, her primary care doctor she had a tremendous relationship with. She was honest about what was going on in the, and had a great relationship. He said, I'm gonna give you these antibiotics, but I want you to go over and get a chest x-ray. She got a chest x-ray, had a mass in her left lung. And all of a sudden, you know, a, couple, you know, a few days later, we get a biopsy and confirm it's lung cancer. And we find out the most important fact, that anyone can get lung cancer, which seems like completely different. If someone's watching, they're saying, that does not make sense. It, it, how does that happen? Because everything I've been told is that lung cancer is directly related to smoking, and that's the only way that it can happen. But unfortunately, anyone can get it. And again, and I found that out when it came into my house. And, and our, my, my hope and our, our hope with the work that we do is that someone is not going to have to find it out when it comes into their house. They'll accept it. And because they accept it, they'll realize that, that research matters now, not later.
1: Because it is a misconception, really, isn't it, that it's only the smokers that get lung cancer? And but it sounds like thing just reading about Keisha, She was a, a very healthy woman, and you, you speak on your, your foundation website uh, just about that shock. And like, I'm not sure how, how did you feel after the diagnosis. It must have been a very hard thing to compute because of that. It's,
7: it, I mean, it's out of nowhere, and you just, you have to just accept what it is, uh, because trying to not accept it makes it where you can't get going on with the you know the treatment. And and putting together a plan, and I think that's, it was it was hard it was hard to hear, but it was so far out of nowhere uh, that it was almost made it a little bit easier because it just was like, what, what is this? It doesn't sink in. It just did. It, it just, what is this? So tell us what we have to do. Help us with this plan. And my wife had a, such a tremendous group of of doctors and health provide uh, professionals around her. So we had a, you know, we had those resources, and and then she had a tremendous family and, and friends that really that that uplifted throughout the journey. But, you know, we found out that anyone could get it. But then we found out also, unfortunately, the five-year survival rate is, is not real good. So it's only about eighteen percent. Um, and then, you know, we, so we progressed through through the journey, and she ended up passing a year later, and so. That year, I mean, it's, it's like, what? How do you go from just amazingly strong, 37 years old to this point? And it's, it's amazing that that is how it's actually possible. But before she passed, we were able to, you know, to get married. And uh, before our wedding day, my wife came to me and she said, what if we don't get presents? What if we ask our family and friends to donate to the foundation so we can fight? And I said, baby, I, I love it. And so on our wedding day, we made two commitments, you know, one to each other. The other one was to the lung cancer community. And, you know, with this platform of the NFL, that lung cancer community could extend here to Ireland. Mm-hmm. But it was the extension that said that we can do something about it. And it was a commitment that started with my wife where she made a choice to fight for others.
1: She wasn't going to let it beat her and do nothing about it.
7: She had already made that decision now. She already made that. As soon as we, she was diagnosed, she had already made that decision. That's something that you have to do. And that is, am I going to live or am I going to die? Right. It's easier said than done sometimes. It's absolutely difficult because every day that something's going on, you have to reassess and you have to claim it. You have to claim that victory that says I am going to live today. And it has to you, know, you have to be intentional with that. And, and she, she was again. And it's not that it was easy because we have, you know, it's stage four lung cancer. What? It's radiation. It's full brain radiation. It's chemotherapy. It's what is this? So there's so many things that are challenging you the, where it's difficult. But she did a tremendous job of continuing to fight and did that all the way up until she passed in December, uh, December 27th of 2011 and really took it right to the end.
1: Her fight must be hugely inspirational for you in terms of running your foundation, in terms of fighting against this.
7: I mean, she, she is the absolute inspiration. And I, I think there's there's so many parts of, of her journey that are central to what survivors have to do all over. And that is that, number one, you have to decide, again, do you want to live or are you just accepting that you're going to die? Mm. Right? Because that's important. You have to go and attack this and, and not allow the disease to take your life before... It actually does take your life. If it does, you have to continue fighting. You have to be in the moment. You have to go and celebrate it if you're still here today. And so and if someone says, well, you have terminal disease because it stayed for, that doesn't mean that your life is over tomorrow. So you have to continue fighting and living mm. until it is. Because the real deal is we could walk down the street and get hit by a car. We could, we could, something bad can happen and we can be gone. So the idea that you have cancer, really just reminds you to make sure you do that.
1: And one last thing I wanted to ask you about, because on your Chris Draft Family Foundation, that's your website, yeah. you said that you're hoping to change the face of sure. lung cancer. Um, talk to us a little, a little bit about that, about how we can change the face of lung cancer and how sure. events like uh, Lung Cancer Awareness yeah. can help. So
7: how do we change the face of lung cancer? It's first accepting what lung cancer is seen. So it's, it's only been seen as a, a prevention. And so when we change the face of lung cancer is to say that prevention is not enough. So, in my wife 's case she's in amazing shape, and the, you know the prevention is important it 's absolutely important because we want to encourage people to have a healthy lifestyle, but that's not enough to be able to tackle lung cancer, so we still need early detection we need that we and that early detection comes through screening efforts that you know the Irish Cancer Society is going to be talking about here in ireland but but also. Early detection is about an awareness with your body and, and being a, being honest about that something is wrong and going in and, and being honest with your GP. Mm. Uh, treatment is 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 important in terms of the, that we've got to be able to not just be disappointed because we couldn't catch it, you know, we couldn't prevent it because we couldn't catch it early, but really make sure there are treatment options and that the people that can benefit from the newer therapies, we've got to get everyone. Everyone that can benefit from it got to get it. And then we have to be confident knowing that research matters. It's not just in breast cancer. It's not just in colon cancer. It's not just in other cancers, but research matters in lung cancer with the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is always survivorship. We're fighting for people, right? We're fighting for all those people that you see on, on, on our site. We're fighting for all those survivors. But the real deal is if we believe that anyone can get it. And I, I, you know, I have to believe it, because my wife, 37 years old, this amazing woman that, that had danced, that was, you know, the graduated from Clemson University, electrical engineer, this amazingly smart and healthy woman, if she could get lung cancer, then anyone can get it. So we're not just fighting when we, say, we talk about research. We're not just fighting for the people that have it. We're fighting for all the people that could get it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, I, I often wonder, like, the, when it comes to the treatment in terms of all the terrible illnesses that exist in the world, like, how do you find, the in terms of the, the treatment process, how is that going on a global scale at the moment in terms of... You, you say there are new treatments that are after emerging.
7: i I tell you, in the last few years, there have been an explosion of drugs as it relates to lung cancer. And it. when you see a drug being approved, the, the reason why it's it's improved, you know, approved is because it's improving somebody's quality of life. It's extending somebody's life. And so the approval of the drugs say that we're moving in the right direction. And it says that the people are benefiting from it. Now, the key is that we don't have enough. Mm. But that's what research is for. It's not that, we, that we're, we're going to just accept where we are and just, you know, we're going to accept it, make sure we get the people that can benefit from it. But then we're going to push forward because we know that we have some success, and now we're building off of that success. Chris,
1: it's been great to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming to Chile. Just to to give another mention, uh, it is around Lung Cancer Awareness Month year in Ireland. Uh, It's for the Irish Cancer Society. We're going to post all the details, all the bullet points I went through uh, at the top of the piece there. We're going to post it all on offtheball.com, and you can check out the full chat if you're just joining us uh, fully up on our YouTube in a little while as well. Do you want to give a shout-out to your website as well? TeamDraft.org or go to ChrisDraftFamilyFoundation.org. Nice one, Chris. Great to meet you. Thank you very Thank much you. for coming in. Uh, so last night, Arsenal legend Martin Keown joined John Kevin Kilban to talk about the epic Arsenal-Manchester United clashes back in 1999 in the FA Cup. Here he is on Dennis Burkham's FA Cup penalty miss against Peter Schmeichel.
4: I still can't believe that we didn't win that game. You know, I think the unfortunate thing, Dennis Burkham was taking that penalty and Dennis had more to lose than anybody else. He didn't play in the previous final, the year before, when we won it. He was injured. And I could just see the look on his face when he went up to take the ball. He didn't have that usual glow that he had. And I wondered, actually, even in the moment, should I say something? But you can't interrupt, you know, somebody else's uh, taking a penalty. It's just not on. And I kind of thought he would miss. I never felt confident. Um, And it gave, it seemed to give them an extra resolve. And I think by winning the cup game against us, they then went and won the league and the Champions League. And I think that gave them the confidence to sort of propel themselves forward. Well, it's a good one, actually, because I went into the uh, Manchester United dressing room after that semi-final. And I'll never do it again because, uh, you know, there was wild celebrations. And I think one or two must have seen us. But didn't it didn't curtail their celebrations, and nor should it really. And I was no, I had no right to go in there, but I I wanted uh, to say, you know, congratulations, because they were kind of like epic battles, and you felt you needed to sort of uh, square things off afterwards. But I think that they were so so relieved uh, that they just, you know, maybe there was a little bit more. They were maybe more ruthless than we were. but I'd like to think that we found that
1: ruthlessness going forward. Yeah, Martin Keown speaking on the show last night. The full podcast is available on OffTheBall.com com and on YouTube. Darren Cleary, good morning to you.
9: Good morning, Owen. how are, how are you? Not too bad at all.
1: We did uh, a full league preview this morning without talking about the Dubs too much. Very because impressive. I dare you? say we're going to have plenty of uh, July and August to chat about them.
9: It's trying to figure out who the best of the rest is, isn't it? <laughs> the dubs have already been anointed the top dogs.
1: Are you thinking about uh, the double this year? Are you thinking that uh, Mandy Kenny's charges could have a say in the Hurling Championship? Because it seems that they've—it's just it's been boxed off that they're not going to be included in that chat.
9: I mean, it's my favourite straw to, to clutch at. <laughs> is that. But it, we're so great, we have so many resources, why are our hurlers so rubbish? Um, I think that they made huge progress last year, despite the fact the results mightn't have shown it. The performances definitely did in the round, Robin. They were within a score in most games. Really, really impressive stuff. If they can build on it, um, that would be usually positive for them. Whether or not the metric of success will be silverware for Dublin hurlers, you're not there yet. It would be... Uh, trying to have a decent league campaign, trying to put together a couple of performances where they, they go for 55-60 and then eventually 70 minutes.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because the Matty Kenny side of play is so predicated on lasting a full 70 minutes. It's so high-octane, as our own Shane Stapleton can tell us from the intense training he's been through. So I think, you know, we need kind of like uh, Maurizio Sari esque title for it, like Kenny Ball <laughs> or Kula Ball or something and uh, give it a title. Kenny Ball's not bad. We can coin that. If if Dublin win a few games, we'll say that Kenny Ball is the reason. The Stapo killer? The Stapo killer. (laughs) And the the end of James Devilton's club hurling career. Uh, Darren, is there much happening this morning?
9: There is own. Joe Schmidt has been channeling his inner Michael Collins this morning because the Ireland head coach says he is getting ready for war with England. The English invade the Aviva Stadium for the first game of the Six Nations and the old enemy come to Dublin with a point to prove. They finished fifth in the competition last year. If it wasn't for Italy, it would have been a bit of a humiliating season for England. Schmidt preparing for heavy artillery after Eddie Jones vowed to lob some grenades at him.
0: He walked past me in the corridor and said he was going to throw a few grenades in. I have felt a bit of shrapnel during the day and um, I, I've no doubt that they'll there'll be more than grenades they, they'll be'll be full uh, there'll be full tanks and 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 full shells landing on the Aviva in, in 10 days time so you know they've got a, they've got a super team England and I think they they uh, they improve through November they'll improve further with the, the guys I've got coming back into the squad so. Yeah, uh, I, I think people will be pretty excited to see the outcome of that, um, and I'll be pretty nervous.
1: The Joe and Eddie show is a podcast I want to listen to.
9: I mean, it's such a great rallying cry for a guy who says he ignores everything Eddie Jones says. He's really good at responding to everything <laughs> Eddie Jones says.
1: It's so true. It's uh, the, I love the tank analogy. I can actually just picture Eddie Jones's head peeking out from, a, from an armored <laughs> tank as he lines up outside the Aviva or wherever he might drive that tank to. Do, do you get
9: annoyed by Eddie Jones? I find him kind of funny. I There's a belief, I think, among England that he's this really smart man who manages the media message very well mm. and he gets people to talk about the stuff that he doesn't want them talking about. So he kind of blindsides them with the sideshow so the real substance they ignore... I think that gives him way too much credit. I don't think he is this mastermind who manipulates the media. I think he gets asked questions and will oftentimes answer with the first thing that comes to his head. Um, We saw that with the Batphone comment about Johnny Sexton. We saw that with some of the odd comments where he said Sexton's parents should be worried about his health in the future. But then when even the cameras are off and he made that scummy Irish comment last year, I, I don't think he's a master communicator and motivator and manipulator. I think he might just most of the time say the first thing that comes into his head
1: maybe it's, uh, it's, probably, it's probably a simple view on it but it's probably the truth to be quite honest with you uh, you've got more
9: Yes, yeah, successive bogeys could prove very costly for Shane Larry owned He carded a 300-par round of 69 on the opening day of the Dubai Desert Classic. Now the offly man back in action just days after his great success at the Abu Dhabi Championship where he recorded a victory. The 31-year-old carded four birdies in his first 13 holes. It was going great. He was two shots off the lead, but he suffered back-to-back bogeys on 15 and 16. Larry now three behind a group of six players, which include Sergio Garcia and Bryson DeChambeau, who are tied for top spot. The holders Manchester City are into the League Cup final. City beat Burton Albion 1-0 last night in the second leg of their semi-final to advance 10-0 aggregate winners. They'll play Tottenham or Chelsea in the final. Spurs have a 1-0 lead to take into tonight's second leg at Stamford Bridge. Fulham's relegation scrap was taken a bit too literally by one player yesterday. Striker Abubakar Kamara has been arrested and banned from the club's training ground after getting in a fight with a member of the coaching staff. The 23-year-old was detained by police on suspicion of causing actual bodily harm and criminal damage. Kamara has missed Fulham's last two matches and was ordered to train with the under-23s after a physical altercation with Alexander Mitrovic at a team yoga session. The arrest comes a month after Kamara snatched the ball from the club's designated penalty take the same man, Mr. Mitrovic, and failed to score the penalty himself. At the time, Claudio Ranieri was so angry he said he wanted to kill Camera.
0: Leave the ball to Mitrovic because Mitrovic- Give the ball to Mitrovic because Mitrovic is the man
5: who had to, uh, to shoot the penalty. And uh, it's unbelievable what, what he did because uh, he didn't respect me, he didn't respect the club, his the, the, the teammates and the crowd. I spoke with him uh, but it's not, it's not right, it's not
3: right. So when he failed to score the penalty, what's going through your mind then? I want to kill him.
9: Now, the Crystal Palace goalkeeper Wayne Hennessy faces a minimum of a five-game ban after being charged by the English FA over what they believe was a Nazi salute. His teammate Max Mayer posted the photo, which has been at the centre of this controversy. It was taken during a team dinner and then posted on his Instagram story, the keeper was uh, just played in the game in a 1-0 win over Grimsby Town in the FA Cup. The Welshman denied making the deeply offensive gesture. He claimed he was simply waving to get the attention of the person taking the photo. When waving failed, he tried to call to that person and used his hand to help project his voice. Now, one Twitter user posted a photo of a picture, which seemed to back up Hennessy's explanation. Take a look. Make your own decision. They do seem Case to be closed. remarkably similar in the way they're doing it. The FA obviously have not bought this, and they have decided to charge Wayne Hennessy. Here at home, St. Pat's have further strengthened their squad ahead of the new SSE Tristy League season with the addition of Chris Forrester. The Dubliner has put pen to paper on a three year deal after being granted a release from his contract at Aberdeen on Tuesday. Reese McCabe has also joined the SSE Airtricity League side from Sligo Rovers. Now, Harry Kenny has built a really decent squad with designs on securing European qualification in 2019. Dave Webster and Kieran Kelly have been brought in to shore up the defence. Midfielders Georgie Poynton and Keane Coleman also moved to Richmond Park. Forrester will come into a side that It already includes the likes of Brandon Mila, Gary Shaw and Mikey Drennan. The Saints also managed to keep hold of Simon Madden, Jamie Lennon, Dean Clark, Barry Murphy and Darren Markey. Here's some of Forrester's best bits on. Have a look at this one. About to drop to his foot.
1: What is this going to be? Oh, get in. What an effort. When was this? It was was two or three seasons
9: ago. I think it was his last season of Pats before he moved. I mean just I the, about that goal. the vision to do it to spot the keeper and have that go it's, it's not a hit and hope his head is up he sees the keeper and he hits it it's really a, it's just a wonderful strike credit to uh, Pats TV for letting us use this clip and what a goal
1: it will be worth the entry fee alone for Pats fans this year
9: I mean Johnny Ward made the point on Twitter we've got the likes of Jack Byrne back in the League of Ireland you've got Patrick McElhenney and you've got uh, Chris Forrester perfect reason to go and even if you don't want to support a team Watch them. Look at this.
1: Oh, oh look at that. That's that against is Rovers in
9: the Dublin Derby. What a finish.
1: It's, uh, I'm getting on the League of Ireland bandwagon this year. That's it. Science to Same Pats bandwagon. Let's go, Chris Forrest. I mean,
9: Pats would be a great bandwagon to sign up to. You're, you're north side Dublin, though. Yeah. Can we not get you on the Shells bandwagon? If you want me. I mean, we've got some great players at Shells. Shells should finish top of the first. Well, the thing is, at least counter. I'll
1: def- definitely get some silverware as a Shells fan.
9: Yeah, exactly. So, It'd be a good start.
1: Uh, I'll make up my mind and get back to you.
9: Pats might get some silverware this year they should be in the league picture with the, the players they've signed
1: yeah let's hope so because uh, I'm now a Pats fan Yeah, uh, is that it?
9: Uh, we've got some tennis on and Naomi Osaka will play Petra Kovitova in the women's final of the Australian Open uh, Japan's Osaka got past Caroline Pliskova in three sets in their semi earlier Kvitova secured a convincing 7-6 6 victory over American Danielle Collins while well, rescuers will decide later if they search for the missing footballer Emiliano Sala and the pilot in the English Challenge will con- continue their plane disappeared off radar on Monday night during a flight to Cardiff from Nantes Guernsey police said an intense of nine-hour search found no trace of the missing aircraft yesterday. Rescuers say there is no hope of finding either man alive. And finally, the Up the Dubs banner is coming down for good on. The Dublin City Council said they will not hang the banner from the Ha'penny Bridge again after a handful of complaints from social media users. The large flag, which reads Up the Dubs, Dublin City supporting the Dubs, has been a fixture on the bridge in the lead-up to All-Ireland Finals in which the county is featured in since 2011. Now, a spokesman for the City Council has told the Irish Times that the bridge is no longer an appropriate location for this display. They said the Ha'penny Bridge is a protected structure and it was agreed that this location is not suitable for displaying such banners. A number of social media users bemoaned the banner on Twitter last year, but DCC say no official complaints were ever received. The Irish Times say the only concern raised came via a single phone call concerning the sign on April 6, 2018, the caller apparently cited the inability of tourists to take pictures as grounds for the banner's removal.
1: They should just put it up outside their home ground, Croke Park, and be done with it. Darren Cleary, thank you very much for that. appreciate Your it. You're back tomorrow morning. Tonight, Off the Ball is live from 7 o'clock on the radio and across our social channels. John Giles, as always, from half past seven. Adrian Barry and I will be back from 7.45am tomorrow on OTB AM. We'll chat to you then. Bye-bye for now. So if you like this you'll probably also
0: like OTVAM Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTVAM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com
9: every morning from 7:45 AM.